Welcome to the Bikepack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance racers from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. The Bike Pack Adventures Podcast is proudly supported by Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Tailfin Bikepacking Equipment, Montan Sports Canada, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery. Their continued support allows me to focus my efforts on providing you amazing content. Now let's get rolling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. Um before we get rolling into this episode, I'll just kind of fill you in with all the details of what's going on. Um, on a personal note, my foot is nearly recovered from the injury I got like three weeks ago when I tripped over my wife's shoe in the middle of the night. I can't believe how long it was taken to get better. I mean, at least I'm not limping now. There's still a little bit of tension in it. I can feel it. I try to flex my toes a lot uh, just to hopefully... Uh, remedy that <clears throat> but it's definitely not been as quick a recovery as I kind of expected so anyways I am planning to start running slash biking again in the next day or so I feel like I have just put on a ton of weight uh, this fall um, I do have some goals next year that would require me to to try to cut some of that off so I'm going to be working real hard on that um, I've also been doing lots of quote unquote, not fun stuff. Um, I don't know about most other people. I think a lot of people just don't do stuff, uh, by themselves anymore. Maybe I'm wrong, but I definitely grew up in a family. It's like, uh, why would you pay somebody to do something that you can do yourself? So I have been studying tires. I put some 45 North, uh, fat bike tires on my fat bike and uh restudied them it is painstaking work oh my god it's so much work and it's so painful on your hand because you're just pushing these things in i think you know 500 studs um it's basically like a movie and a half a whole hockey game that's the kind of perfect time to do it then i i bought my wife a fat bike costco had a wicked sale uh, louis garneau the um, grow, grow Louis three, grow Louis three. Um, I think basically Louis Garneau just had way too many bikes. They had a bunch of canceled orders from companies because of the, the, you know, the slowdown in the bike market. And so they just sold off a bunch of them to Costco. Um, God, I don't know how they possibly made money because maybe even Costco made like, maybe they put their profit margin really low just to turn over and Anyways, uh, the bikes were selling for $5.99 in-store, $6.99 online. Uh, I didn't manage to get one in stores fast enough, but that extra 100 bucks online, it was still dirt cheap. Um, regular retail price is something around $2,000. I saw them for sale on the Louis Garneau website for $1,300, and then I paid $700. <clears throat> so actually, it's a very... You know, it's 
it's it's a really good deal at 700 bucks i mean it's got um Terran tires cake eaters i believe it's you know just the tires tubes and wheels are probably worth a grand you know um frame is alloy it's using micro shift components um nine speed just you know that's how they keep the cost down but hey that's a perfect bike for my wife i got an extra small size i even still had to cut the seat post uh a little bit i i used a pipe cutter cut off a couple inches just to make it so it fits her better pretty crazy anyway so that's that's some of the not fun stuff um other than that uh, christmas holidays perfect time to fix my car my car has started rusting and so i um I started at it. It's it's work. It's not fun. I had to take the front quarter panel off just to be able to access some of the rust. I tried to fix it last year without taking the panel off, and uh, it just started rusting really fast because I think I just basically exposed everything to the air and is like, yes, rust, super happy. Um, now it's really ground down, cleaned down. I've put some anti-corrosion liquid on it. I'm letting that air dry right now. Everything is taped off. I'm ready to prime and then paint. Uh, on that same note, I decided to build new shelves in my garage uh, that are two feet wide. That way they can hold all my tubs full of bike stuff and camp stuff and everything else. And um, yeah, so that's been a process because my walls were all beat to hell full of holes from the previous owner. So I've patched everything, primed it. Now I'm going to paint it. And then I'll build the walls, uh, the build the shelves. So, yeah, the idea there is that it'll be good and I won't have to do it again after. So, yeah, uh, that is nearly done. What else? I have been doing some painting in the house as well. I've decided it's time to finish the bar area. My wife has picked a color, which is good. Um, so I've been painting the trim around the door and now I'm ready to start painting the, the bar. Um, I mean, the walls and stuff inside the bar. It's a lot of work. I just, uh, just trying to get done. It's the holidays. What else are you going to do? Right. Um, yeah, so that's that, uh, totally not fun stuff, but you know, I don't want to pay thousands of dollars to get all that stuff done by professionals. Um, the only one that will keep coming back is the rust on the car. You know, my dad says, uh, yeah, every couple of years or a few years, you'll have to grind it away fix it again. Um, otherwise go spend a couple thousand dollars and get it done properly. Um, I'm cheap. I'd rather spend money on bikes. The second annual Canadian Shield Bikepacking Summit set for May 24th, 25th, 26th. I'm still looking into a camp out beforehand. So that'll hopefully come down the, the line sometime in, in the new year. I'm also hoping to start ticket sales by mid January. So I'm just trying to tie up some loose ends right now before everything goes live. The event sponsorship packages are ready. So if any companies are out there, feel free to reach out and I can shoot one your way. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it because I haven't been biking. Um, if you've been enjoying the podcast and feel that you're in a position to contribute uh, to its continued growth, I would really appreciate you considering to join as a Patreon supporter, which you can do by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. Um, so on that note, I would like to thank my newest Patreon supporter, Jacques Parisien. Um, <clears throat> thank you very much. 
And uh, for all out there, everyone else out there, if you become a Patreon, uh, one of the new things I'm doing is giving early access to every podcast episode and also the uncut version. So it'll have all the stuff before we start recording and all the stuff after, because quite often we end a recording and I just can't shut up. Now it's my chance of time to talk and chat. And uh, so uh, there's always some conversation before and after. So you'll have access to that. Um, you could also use PayPal um, to make a one-time donation by searching Bikepack Adventures. Before getting rolling into this episode, I'd like to thank one of our key sponsors. Panorama Cycles is dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Panorama Cycles has some exciting things going on this year. The recently released Torngat Tie is the first titanium fat bike to offer two crankset spindle length setups to suit all types of riding. A versatile model, both lightweight and durable, that can be used for a wide range of adventures, making it the perfect bike for both trail riding and expeditions during summer and winter. The Torngat Tie is ready to tackle any train without compromise. For the 2023-24 winter season, Panorama Cycles is offering the Try Before You Buy program, allowing you to try out the Chick Chocks Carbon Fiber Fat Bike before buying. There is no other program like this. Check out PanoramaCycles.com for details. Lastly, don't forget to use the promo code BPA10 on any new bike purchase to save 10% at checkout. Now back to the show. Now let's uh, introduce this episode. In this episode of the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, I catch up with David and Didi mid-tour while they break for Christmas in Cusco, Peru. I first learned about them quite a while before their adventure started when they were still in the preparation stages and wanted some advice. Two months ago, David and Didi landed in Colombia to begin what they have dubbed Project Air Libre, which I think translates to free air project. Um, hope that's right. Over the past two months, they have made their way south through Colombia, Ecuador, and now are in Peru. Amazingly, David and Didi haven't been following the traditional bicycle touring routes through South America, but have been stitching together their route using a variety of roads and trails. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And on to the show. I, I would just like to welcome you guys to the show. And, you know, I got to be honest here. I... Don't think I know your guys' first names because I'm always just like Project Air Libre, Project Air Libre. Like, and uh, so why don't you guys introduce yourself and uh, tell us who you are. Go first. So I'm Diletta, I'm 25 and I'm Italian and um, cycling wise. <laughs> um, actually, I'm the one who didn't cycle a lot before this trip. So when people ask us, oh, how much did you train for this trip? I'm the one who's like, uh, <laughs> I started cycling during this trip ah, fair <laughs> while enough. he's the more athlete one of the couple. <laughs> I saw you were doing some half iron, <clears throat> sorry, some half Ironmans, right? Yeah. So I, I'm David. I did some half Ironmans and an Ironman as well. Okay. So I spent a fair amount on the bike before the trip. Um, but I had to realize that it's very different sitting on a time trial bike or a road bike versus a yeah. fully packed, you know, bikepacking bike. So I think in the beginning, I had to kind of shift mentality from looking at kilometers per hour, how much are we getting done, um, to just enjoying the ride. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm really enjoying the change because it's still on the bike, but it's just a completely different perspective, I guess. Yeah, it's really hard as a, as when you go from that athlete point of view to to trying to to bike and enjoy the small things, right? 
Um, I had done a few half Ironmans, lots of Olympic distance. Um, I was wow. always like a pushing it hard type biker. Even like my small <laughs> tours were like 200 kilometer days and really like just giving oh her, you God. know. And <laughs> I don't think I've still figured out how to slow down. So I'm, I'm working on it. Um, <clears throat> I did when I went, traveled with my wife. So that was easier. Uh, but when it's just me, I I was in Western Canada. And I think I averaged 190 kilometers a day for 20, wow. 29 days or something, you know. Um, but... I mean, I was by myself and I had a limit of time and I was like, I want to go. I want to see how far I can go, you know? That's that's impressive. I mean, I, I always say to her that I think it's in that sense, it's quite good that she's there because I do have that in me and we've met some people who've done that and I mean, it all has its positives, right? If you go long, you, it's more from an athlete and sports perspective, while if you would go shorter, I guess it's more, I appreciate taking the drone out, taking the picture, having the time to talk to the locals. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a different trip, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So mm -hmm. And David, right? Um, where are you from? Are you Italian as well? No, so I'm German, but I grew up in Belgium. <clears throat> okay. Um, so I grew up in French and in German. Uh, that's kind of my background, ah. but uh, family is from Germany and they're currently there. I just called them before this call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, celebrating Christmas. Oh, nice. And so they're they're celebrating. I mean, are they celebrating on the 25th or are they doing something on the weekend because it's easier to get everybody together? The funny you ask because we're having this conversation also with <clears> the people who are coming. We celebrate on the 24th. So ah. on the 24th, you open the presents and then if you go to church, you'd go to church at midnight. So that's how it's kind of celebrated in my family. Mm -hmm. While you celebrate. We celebrate twice because we like big parties. So yeah, yeah, you're Italian, of course you do. 24th at night <laughs> and 25th for lunch in case you didn't have enough food the 24th at night. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Okay. So I was just discussing with my grandma, what are we cooking for the 24th? And she was like, no, that you should do on the 25th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, it's interesting because I my wife's from Iran, so like Christmas was never a big thing before uh, you know marrying me and coming to Canada, and and she's like, well, what do you do? Is it the twenty fourth or twenty fifth? And I said, man, <laughs> every family does it different, you know. Like, yeah. we we are a family of convenience. Whatever one is easier and kind of gets everybody together or could work better. Um, my family doesn't go to Christmas mass and stuff like that, so it's not a it's not an issue, but. Um, I know, like, mm. I teach in a Catholic school. Lots of the teachers do go to midnight mass. And uh, mm. so. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So when do you celebrate Christmas this year? We're celebrating on the 25th. My parents, um, my brother will have his kids. So it's it's convenient for us all to uh, to meet up at my parents' house. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So you grew up in Germany and she grew up in Italy. And how did you guys meet? <laughs> at uni. <laughs> at university. All right, cool. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So we both studied our bachelor in the Netherlands. Okay. And we met there. And then from there, we kind of move around. We were living in Belgium for a bit. Mm. And then we moved to Denmark to do our master and work there. And then after that, we went for the trip. Okay, now we don't really have a house. <laughs> I was getting kind of confused because I was like, man, I swear to God, I saw pictures from Denmark where they were building bikes. I'm like, yeah. how, how does this all work? Like, where are they from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty, so in Denmark, they have this cool system where they kind of encourage students to work next to going to uni and the state pays you. As a European student, uh. you get money on top of your work salary. And that was kind of when we realized that we'd have an overhead. We said, okay, that could be the foundation for our trip. 
And then the idea kind of snowballed from there. Oh, that's very cool. I know like <clears throat> I had lived in Sweden for a year and they also have so many good programs for students, you know, like yeah. just from your average stipend as well, which we don't get anywhere. Yeah, I think exactly. like very, very Scandinavian thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was that was definitely two years full Scandinavian experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how was it? How was Denmark? Different opinions. Colder. <laughs> Colder. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> uh, we have different opinion on the thing. But what we agree on is that sports-wise was great. Like, yeah. everyone does sports in Denmark. It's insane. Like, you would see, but probably in Canada is the same, because you have, like, very big No, meters. but I'll, no? I'll, well, I'll get into it, but no. Uh, yeah. Okay. Because there it's like, it doesn't matter which day is it, what's the weather, if it's snowing, if it's raining, people are going to go out with the bike or go mm. out and running. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that what's so cool about Copenhagen is they have this huge cycling network, right? You've got so many like cycling paths. On every road is essentially a cycle path. And that kind of got us, you know, I've only used the bike for two and a half years besides sports. Also to get to work, to get to yeah. uni, you kind of just use the bike all the mm -hmm. time. And I think that was a very good start for us to kind of see the bike as a more, you know, everyday thing. Mm -hmm. And then it was easier to make the transition to, okay, you know, Let's start something on the bike. Let's start an adventure on the bike. We're on it every day anyway. Yeah. Yeah. When I lived in, uh, I was living in Southern Sweden. So probably similar to Denmark. Um, I think I could road, I could have ridden my bike all, but maybe a week or two weeks of the year, you know, like where the, maybe there was ice wow. and yeah. it was really bad. Like, um, yeah. there was really no stopping me from riding my bike, which was pretty amazing. Yeah. And, um, mm. but no, I was thinking uh, in, in Sweden anyways, and probably in Denmark, because it's all through the commune, um, all the school, all the sports and stuff, it's really accessible. And that's why I look at hockey now and I'm like, there are so many Swedish players because it's accessible and you can find the talent of the kids because it's free, basically, right? And in Canada, it's yeah, not, yeah. so you got to pay a lot. And I have, like, I teach, I'm a teacher and we have lots of kids who are new to Canada and, you know, they don't have the money. So they're like, I haven't played on an organized soccer team since I moved to Canada because it's too expensive, you know, like they can't afford oh. $500 registrations. And even though mm -hmm. soccer doesn't take a lot of gear, you know, shorts and shoes, you're good to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's still inaccessible to a lot of families. Right. So that's, it's unfortunate, but um, I looked yeah. at Sweden and I'm assuming Denmark and Norway and stuff, they do it really, really well and Finland probably as well. So. Yeah. I mean, the reason I, I mean, I, I always had this uh, passion for triathlon, but the real reason I got into it was because when I looked at gyms, like fitness studios, they're actually really expensive in Denmark. And it uh. was like, you had sometimes you had like fees of, you know, three digits for a month. And then I looked at the triathlon club and it was like 150 bucks for a year. And then, you know, that was kind of settled. Mm -hmm. then. And I could go to the gym, I could go to the swimming pool, I could go cycling. Ah, okay. Yeah, perfect. Cheap. I just figured yeah, you're on your way to on your way to school or whatever, and you're like, okay, well, I can bike up to the lake, and then I got to swim across the lake, so I can then run to my school. I'm like, good to go, let's do it. <laughs> exactly. And um, yeah, so you guys decided. Uh, did you do any other big trips? Or um, actually, first, did you guys grow up in a? Did you grow up in a family that was quite adventurous and this kind of thing, or is this all kind of new? And everybody's like, what are you guys doing? You guys are crazy. You know? <laughs> I think we both are very lucky that we have families that love to travel. Uh -huh. So 
probably the biking part is more adventurous, yep. but it was never weird that we were like, oh, okay, I don't know, I'm going to work for two months and then I'm going to take three months and travel there. Or I'm going to, I found this thing where I can work in a hostel there, so let's go. Or I want to travel for a week, this part. So mm. that was never weird because we've both traveled a lot with our families. Uh, the part of the bike, of course, was more like, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> it sounds dangerous. What are you doing? <laughs> drivers are awful, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the drivers are awful. And, I mean, I have to say, the, my, I got different reactions from my parents. So my dad actually did the Ironman with me. So he's, Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, and he's very jealous. Who was faster? Who, who was faster? Wait, who was faster? I was faster. Oh, okay, congratulations. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I was happy. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> otherwise, he would love to join. And um, I think doing it by bike was, yeah, the idea, I mean, came from her, actually. But it was in the beginning, it was, we started easing them into it, right? We said, you know, we want to travel. And then this idea of the bike came. And we did have our fair discussions with them and saying, okay, how are we going to do it? And I, I do actually think that, you can plan as much as you want ahead, but then when you get here, it is still very different. Like mm -hmm. I, I knew that the drivers were crazy, but I think the extent to which they were crazy, we only realized when we got here. <laughs> yeah, and especially if you grew up, like you grew up and most of your time probably spent in Europe and you're like, oh, it's so, it's, you know, unless you go to like, I don't know, I'm gonna just spitball maybe like somewhere in the Balkans where it's still a little crazier and the driving might be more hectic. Um, for the most part, it's pretty, pretty civilized driving, right? Yeah, and yeah. also we have cycle path, right? Which yeah. <laughs> isn't necessarily That's the case true. here. That's yeah. true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was. A, I think in the beginning it was. It was quite a shock, and I, for that, I'm quite happy that we didn't start in Peru because I think here the drivers are by far the yeah. craziest. I've heard that Peru, like in the north, up along the coast, is also quite dangerous. But I've heard it's it's really bad for drivers. So. Yes. Yeah. You could probably attest to that. I, I don't I know. I think for especially sure. after you come from countries like Colombia and Ecuador, especially Colombia, where road cycling is like, they're so proud of it. So if yeah. you're cycling on the road, they're like, oh, you need water and you need help. And oh, you're doing so good and so cool. And then you enter in Peru and people are like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you're going to get killed. So you there's no way you can go through the Panamericana. So you have to find other ways. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's let's uh, before we start rolling into the actual trip. Um, at what point did you guys decide to to do this trip? And what was kind of the process of getting ready? Because I know you messaged me really early on. Um, I, I guess early on. Anyways, before the trip started, and you were asking, yeah. like, how do you how do you work around getting sponsors and things? Because, you know, it is expensive. It's an expensive yeah. endeavor to go bike pack for months yeah. on end. Right. So let's uh, let's so talk about that. Yeah, I mean, um, so as, as we said, we kind of had this idea, actually after our bachelor, we both wanted to travel, but then due to COVID, it got locked down. So mm. this idea was in the back of our minds for years. And then, you know, when we realized, you know, we have this overhead in Denmark, we said, we want to travel for a year. But for the first half year, it was just kind of, we were trying to realize where we want to travel and we couldn't necessarily agree. And then... Funnily enough, on YouTube, we saw this guy called Mata Indolat who did it for two years. He wrote this book called Two Years on a Bike. I don't know if you know him. I don't know it, no. So it's, it's this Dutch guy and he's essentially a photographer and he 
we had found his book in a coffee shop um, and looked through it. And he was bikepacking first from Amsterdam towards China. And then he did from Alaska to Patagonia. And we thought, wow, this is really cool. And here's a really good way of capturing things. And we started watching it. And we, I mean, you just see glimpses on YouTube because it's a, you know, it's a one hour video of, you know, South America. Yeah. But we thought, wow, it's, it's amazing what he gets to see versus what you see on a bus. And I think there she really got caught actually i got caught but you know i never dared to speak it out loud um and then i think someday she said i want to do it by bike and yeah i think it started as a joke and then we were like okay we're doing it by bike (laughs) oh that's cool yeah Yeah. and i mean i think it was also i was working with a girl who just came back from a trip from amsterdam to nepal with her boyfriend by bike and oh, it was wow, just okay. like, oh, yeah, I was talking to her and it was like, wow, this is so cool, you know, and we were surrounded by bikes and this triathlon thing. I don't know. It sounded like we had bikes all around us mm-hmm. for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so every everywhere you turned, it was a sign like go on a bike. Yeah, trip, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was it was kind of pointing us in that direction. And then, I mean, the the part was, I think, for the first two, three months, we were, okay, snowballing about, and then we were, okay, if we want to do this, we want to do it right, because we had heard from a lot of people that we asked around that you need at least a year of preparation, and by that, we don't mean a year of sitting down every day and, you know, doing your task, because that's not realistic, we had a job, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah. it was, let's try and get clear on what we want, and then from there, we kind of realized that the first real step is the bike, I mean, yeah. without the bike, you can't get the bags, mm-hmm. you don't really know what you have. And that was at a time when in Europe, it was still quite difficult to get a bike actually, because due to COVID, there was yeah. a shortage in the supply chain, the prices were skyrocketing. And I knew that from my triathlon experience, because you know I was looking for secondhand bikes, it was so difficult. Mm-hmm. And you know we looked and looked, and in the end, I think I, yeah, I, we had this huge Excel sheet where we had, I think in the beginning 20 bikes, and then we kind of started this elimination process of what we wanted. And in hindsight, not really knowing what we wanted, this was more like, okay, this is what we think we want yeah. because, you know, we had never gone bikepacking at this stage. And were you originally and, looking at like more of a touring style bike or did that kind of, how did that change as you went? Uh, yeah, maybe you want to... <laughs> that was interesting because <laughs> at the beginning we thought, uh, because we do road cycling, I mean, especially him, but I also had mm-hmm. a road bike we know that like this is what we like so that's what we should go for okay that was our reasoning yeah. which now maybe i would do it differently but at the time i didn't know so i think how it went is then then we said okay this is what we know this is what we like so then we start looking into bikes and then the focus just i think it was just release or was an old one yeah maybe just to jump into that before we were so in the one of the cool I found this really cool blog where they described these you know these three styles which was like the touring classic touring setup where you you have these massive panniers and what we had read online was that if you have these panniers it's not necessarily as easy going uh, off road and since we had I looked at a lot of gravel and mountain bike routes I knew that it wasn't necessarily my thing to have these big panniers Mm -hmm. so that kind of eliminated the touring setup and then we look at the bikepacking setup and we realize that that may not be enough luggage to carry for the long trip. Right. And then we kind of said, okay, we need something in between. And then... A hybrid, isn't it? 
yeah, in, in, in my head, we came to the gravel conclusion, which mm-hmm. in Heinz we'll come to later, but we had to change a bit. Um, but I guess that that's how we started. Okay, so we've got this gravel bike. Let's start looking into them. And then we looked at the classic, you know, surly bikes, at the marine bikes and the salsa bikes. And then, yeah, then Focus then released Focus that bike. Focus released that bike. <laughs> oh, that was a new release by Focus, yeah? Yeah. It was a new release by Focus. I had looked at it, and what I really liked about the bike, and I still like, is it's a gravel. It's a gravel bike, right? So the frame is gravel, and it's meant for just going on a gravel adventure. But because they realized that, especially in Germany, there's this big hype that also happened during COVID, that people want to go bike packing. Maybe not for a year, but for mm-hmm. a weekend trip, two weeks. They added the mounting points, and all the Perfect. more mounting points than you have on normal bikes. So we have so yeah. many mounting points, which is amazing while still keeping the lightness and mm-hmm. the easiness yeah. of the gravel bike and, and what's the uh, of, sorry go ahead no that just kind of sold me on it yeah what's the uh what's the maximum tire width you can put on this gra- gra- this go. focus bike and that is the problem <laughs> <Aha>. <laughs> that is what we probably i don't know we probably thought we i think the problem was we had this idea that gravel here was going to be gravel in europe oh right which is so wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone who wants to do this trip yeah yeah gravel here doesn't exist when we arrived with those tires in ecuador they were all laughing at us and they were like even if you would try to sell your tires nobody would want to buy them mm, okay. because there is no such a thing as gravel it's right. either you go road and then you go fully road and you have a road cycling bike or you go mountains but if you go mountains it's like it's like real mountains stones and yeah over stones yeah yeah interesting yeah, so we, we we started with a 27 times 2 setup so 27 centimeters and that was a gra- classic gravel setup and they were good but um when we got into ecuador and started doing you know less road as we did in colombia she got like I think four punctures in the span mm. of I don't know like five days and then we were like okay we have to change something and then we went to a cycle store and we essentially tried everything and now we have 29 times 2.2 but the problem is to be honest there's just about fitting and when we get into thick mud the thick mud kind of gets stuck oh, in there right. and every like 20 pedal stroke it's like explodes out mm-hmm. which it ha- in the beginning, we got you know a lot of warnings online yeah. and by friends, but it hasn't been an issue. We've been riding with them since eight weeks. Uh, it's okay. It's not that happens. bad. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe sometimes you stop and there is a little stone and whatever. But yeah. because we're not going for speed, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. No. But of course, I mean, <laughs> if we would have known it before, we probably would have changed the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but uh, but 29, 29 inch wheel with two point two inch tires is is a still it's a pretty good size. Like that's not a small I, I think tire. So, I think so too. And I mean, uh, we're no experts, so I'm, I'm no position mm-hmm. to give any tips. But if I, if, if a friend would ask me, what would you do? I would just say, you know, make sure that you have up to 29 clearance. Because to be honest, I think ours isn't. It's got the clearance in terms of space, but I would say it's really pushed. Okay. So if you look for a bike, maybe make sure that there's a clearance that you can easily go up to 29. Because I don't think you need much bigger tires than ours, unless you're trying to go in the sand. Because mm-hmm. that then you need something bigger, but we're really comfortable with them. And one of the main reasons we had to change that was also because I think for Didi, who hadn't been on the bike that much, we also changed some parts. It was harder for her to keep the control with all the bags and in that Mm graph environment. So that helped, I think. Yeah. And the other thing that we found out is a common 
error that multiple people do when they come from Europe is the suspensions. Because ah. we, I mean, our bike doesn't have any suspension, right. but it's not only us. It's like we met a lot of people who said this. We all come here with a gravel bike and then you want to do the mountain bike route in Ecuador. And it's like, uh, you cannot <laughs> have control of the bike at all. No, oh, I can imagine. Um, so yeah, that would be the other thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, like I recently, I was using fully rigid. Um, so I do a lot of bike packing in this region and even my mountain bike was fully rigid. So no suspension, just a shock stop stem and seat post. And there's a lot of times where I'm riding and it's killing me, you know, like I'm getting, I'm not young like you guys. So my wrists are starting to get <laughs> sore. I'm, you know, I'm in my forties. And so last year I, uh, I switched it up and I put on like some nice front suspension on my mountain bike. Nice. Now it's so nice. good. It's so, it's so good. Um, yeah, but I don't run rear suspension, but I mean, I could. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I think the suspension, the tire clearance and the handlebar, that's like the three things where in hindsight we have split opinions because I don't mind not having the suspension to be honest, because I'm used to the road cycling stiffness and I also don't mind the tire clearance is now we've gotten lucky to be honest, but the handlebar, I think for her has been the biggest thing she wants to change. Yeah. Like next okay. trip we go, it would definitely be a flat handlebar. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, yeah, some like, people find it really game changer or even with a little bit of back sweep so that your hands are not like yeah. locked straight. Where's my arms there in exactly. the picture? But like a little bit on a angle. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that I've never noticed this on when I went for like daily rides or whatever because there you go for a ride and then the day after you don't and then whatever but here that right. you go every day at some point you do feel the pressure in your shoulder and sometimes i think okay it would be nicer with a flat handlebar yeah okay yeah i mean uh, there's a a lot of people go both ways right like yeah i i did a <laughs> lot i i grew up mountain biking and then i went to road biking and for years i road biked and now i still find it more natural and comfortable on you know on the hoods with the road bike um, mountain bikes I have like you know the bike I have is a Panorama Taiga mountain bike they also make one that's a drop bar version and I got the mountain bike one but there's times where I'm like oh man maybe I should get the drop bar version you know maybe I should uh, <laughs> I mean it, luckily I'm, I'm blessed Yeah, they sponsor the podcast so that could probably happen <laughs> but actually really I'm starting to get used to the mountain bike aspect again and I think it gives me more control in the woods anyways so yeah it's, it's funny, and this probably tells you a lot about the different backgrounds of us. She's trying to get a straight handlebar, and I, if I could change anything, I would add the aero bars yeah. for, my, for my bike because I'm so used to them, and I find them quite comfy once you get you, your body mm -hmm. into the position. And for all the long downhills, you just you can kind oh, of change so nice. your back. Yeah. Yeah. And you can like you can rest and then like do some stretches. It's like, yeah, I, like, exactly. I love aero bars. I have them on uh, every bike. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, see, that's, I think that's that's the kind of the two things that we're going. But otherwise, I mean, so back to the bike, we're super happy. But because this um, shortage in Europe happened, we actually had to rent a friend's car. And we, in a weekend, because, you know, we were working, we had to drive like, you know, eight, nine hours to Hamburg, go to the bike store, oh, no way. buy the bike, um, and then drive eight, nine hours back. And the next day, go back to work, just because that was the only way to get our bike. And we got the bike in... I want to say November, 
which was quite nice. And then after that, I think the next available pickup point for that same bike was in May. So we were really lucky. Wow. To have okay. That bike then. Um, because, you know, then started, we started the whole process of, okay, what bikes, bags are we going to go for? How are we going to do the setup? Um, and we could start playing with that because in hindsight now, I think we had quite a few bags that we had to ship back because they didn't fit, you know, especially yeah. those frame bags. That I have to say to Yeah, that's a really hard one, right? Frame bags because yeah. you order a bike and then all of a sudden nothing there, works. There I really thought, ah, okay, you know, like everyone has the same bike bags, blah, 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 whatever. And then you start ordering them and it's like, oh, the M doesn't fit. So then you need to exchange it for the S. Then you have to ship it back and wait another yeah. month. That was, it took long. Yeah, it, it, took, us very, it took us very long. And I actually, um, I don't know if you're interested in talking about the bike bags we have, but... Uh, sure thing. Let's do it. Uh, we have, well, first tell us what you went with with the setup and then we can talk about the bags. Okay, so the setup we went for this in-between. So we have the, I would say, it looks like a bike packing setup. The only thing that's different is that at the back, we don't have the ass rocket, I think it's called. <laughs> it could you be know? that, yeah, seat, a seat post bag. Bar, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ass rocket works. <laughs> I've never heard that actually. It's gotta be a German uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly i'm gonna stick with ass rocket the, um so and we have like uh like it's 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 one of these arrow packs that go towards the back which like uh yeah so that way we ha and then we have small side panniers and uh. they that kind of helped us but of course that means that's what i mean with this in between because we only have 10 liter panniers on each side um so yeah, we at the back we do have a capacity of I think up to forty liters, which is a lot for if you ask people who bike pack, it seems like we have a lot. If you ask people who tour, it seems like we have nothing. So well, yep. you know, it depends on who you ask. Um, but we found that to be a very good setup because that way we at the forks you can't put that much, and we only have a handlebar otherwise, and. We had a really long discussion about what are we doing with the frame bags because like you said that was super difficult mm -hmm. and we looked at custom frame bags and everything but it was so difficult to find one that's 100 percent waterproof because of the zippers and since we knew that we're going to enter rainy season we had a long time of you know what are we getting and then at some point we just said okay like we're kind of getting a bit too theoretical about this let's just do a trial and error and then we started ordering Handlebars, we went to bike stores, we tried them out, uh, and then we said, okay, this handlebar works, this top tube bag works, this frame bag works. And then we wanted to have a similar setup, but in the end we got just different bags because okay. they wouldn't fit her bike, they right, wouldn't fit right. my bike. And we're happy with it, but we decided to opt against the full frame bag because we didn't know where to put our bottles otherwise. Yep. And that just, yeah. So that was what kind of what we went for. And since in the triath during my triathlon time, I just I had so many bladders that I had to drink out of, and I yeah. was sick of them. So I said, I don't want to. I don't want to drink in bladder. I want a normal bottle. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I don't use bladders cool. often. Even when I did triathlon, I usually had like a bottle on the handlebar, and that was kind of my thing. And you know. Yeah. yeah. It's nice that we went from different brands because I would say that right now we really know what we like and what we really don't like. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Tell so, it, let's talk about it. What, what bags do you have and uh, what do you like and what don't you really don't so like? <laughs> we're, really, we're really in love, both of us, I think, with Tailfin. 
that's what we have for the back. I knew that's what so, you had because you were talking about 20 liters and they're the only ones I know that make the 20 liter <laughs> arrow pack. I didn't know if I can, if I can hint the brand in this podcast. So I was like, Hey, uh, gonna... act- actually, you know what? You can, you know why? Because they're the podcast's newest uh, sponsor. Oh, <laughs> it's not announced yet. Actually, I messaged them and um, so I'm, I'm getting, well, it's not, nothing's been released yet, but I guess now it is. Um, I'm, uh, I'm getting added to their research and development division. So, wow. yeah. I, I have to say, if I, if I have one dream that's out there for my future, that's that. So yeah, honestly, I couldn't salute you more. Um, uh, thank you so much. That, that's really cool because... So now, now, now um, you opened the door box. I love it so much. All right, hold so, on. Let me let me get comfortable. Pull the microphone back. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So the the idea was right. Um, I knew that we. I kind of knew the gear we needed, and um, I really didn't like the pannier setup because, as I said, we counted the mountain bike thing. But we still needed some sort of space, right? Because I knew that that uh, famous ass rocket wouldn't be enough for us. Uh-huh. So. We looked and looked, and then we went to one bike store, and they actually recommended us Tailfin, and we looked into it, and I have to say, they're a bit more pricey out there, but they're so worth it. Um, because for us, it's just, they have this new advertisement where they talk about the FAF, and what I think they do really well is they make it easy for bike packers that there's not too much hassle. You have yeah. one clip, you take the bike off, the bag off, and that really was a game changer for us. and that keeps on being game changer because it's just it's so easy for us you know we know what's in what bag we take the right bag off and we don't we don't spend hours on wrapping mm-hmm. our bags like other people and so we got these at the back uh, and you know the classic setup with the 10 liter panniers yeah. and yeah. that was the start of it and we said okay this is great that's where we'll put our cooking and sleeping equipment and our clothes but then we th- said okay what are we going to do at the front and we got there what is it? The, the frame the bag. Cage bag? It, the cage it's the cage and the bag. Yeah, right. Because yeah. now they have the micro panniers for the front. They just and released, here right? Comes, here so it comes. Here it comes. All right. We, Go on. Carry on. With, I'm listening. We, we, so we, we had these uh, these bags, and I really like them. I think they're great. They're waterproof. But what I love and what sets Telfin apart is that X-Mount system that they had. And we had a long talk with them. And actually, we're now we got these front bags sponsored by them as well. Oh, that's fantastic, guys. Congratulations. Thank you. And we couldn't be happier because, first of all, we realized that the five liter at the front, they're really good, but because we don't have the big panniers and we like to go, sometimes we like to go four or five days, you know, off the beaten path where there's not much, we we had to carry a backpack to carry our food. And because Ah. they're ultralight, the backpacks, I ended up having some days where I was bleeding out of my back. And you know, because rubbing, yeah, chafing, and yeah, yeah, exactly. So then, now that we have these, we can carry more food. So you're gonna have the ten, 10 liters on the front, then? Yeah, two 10 liters on yeah. the front. That's gonna that's arriving in a few days in Cusco. Awesome. And yeah. that's I think these five bags. I think they are really a game changer in terms of the best bike bags that we've had because they're super waterproof. They're easy to take on and off, and they're also super sturdy. Like mm-hmm. we've never had a bag fall off. And actually, I have to say that they've also, you know, one, two bags ripped of me because we were really doing some pretty extreme mountain bike routes. They sent us a new one. So that was quite nice. Mm, nice. Um, 
And then, but since, I mean, you're in the R&D team, so you're quite fortunate. Well, I, this is just, just happening. It's like, I haven't even announced it on social media yet. So, well, except for this. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got about a week or two weeks of lead time to before I have to figure things out. <laughs> okay. Sorry to put you on the hot seat. <laughs> the, so for us, we, we knew that Tailfin doesn't make a handlebar bag and, all, and the frame bags. Oh, so then yeah. We started, I mean, the R&D team has them, but... We started looking, and one of the problems that's with the curved handlebar is that you don't have that much space actually to put a yes, big right. handlebar bar. Yeah, right. So, so yeah, I have to say this is the part I don't like of our setup. <laughs> we have uh, in the handlebar we have the Orslib, uh, what's it called? The QR quick release system. So it's like the one where the bigger one, not the small box. Okay. Um. I think the problem with it, honestly, is that it moves a lot. So when you are on the road, maybe it's fine. But as soon as you go mountain, mm -hmm. then it starts moving. And then when it moves, it touches the wheel and then you have to oh, put it back right. and all of that. And the other problem with it is that is not easy at all to take off. Is this the one so, with the wire that you have to wrap around the stem yeah, kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. yeah. I used yeah. to have that like so, my first setup kind of thing, but it was an older and version. What did, what did you think? Um, I mean, I was only on road in those days. So like my tours, I, I did a tour in Indonesia. I did some in Malaysia, Thailand, um, Japan and Sweden to Denmark, but it was always road. So it wasn't an issue, but I could see I it. Mean, I, so the, I, I, let, let me put it like this. We met a lot of people who love Ortlieb. I think that they're a very good company and they stand for, stand for waterproofness. The, their bag at the front in and of itself is quite genius because it's quite big and quite narrow. So that's mm. something new, I think, on the market. But because we are also a bit lazy due to having the excellent system on the tail fin, we're not the ones who are going to take off the bags every night, which is what you can do with that bag. But we're leaving it on and then that's not really what it's meant for. It's meant for, you know, quick on and off and then yeah. we're too lazy to put it on and off all the time. So then we're not really using the bag the way it's meant to be used, right, I think. Right. And the only reason we got it was because we are carrying, you know, camera equipment, drone equipment, and a lap and laptops. Um, so we wanted them easily accessible because I don't want to have to get out my camera somewhere deep down in the bag. So we wanted to have one that I can just yeah. hold up, get the drone out, get the camera out, take pictures. And for that, it's been great. It's just that I think that that bag is meant for light items that you can stuff in there and then it's easy. Uh, but we haven't really used it the way it is. So now one of the reasons why we're in Cusco longer is I got myself a camera bag that I'm gonna, like a small funny pack where the camera fits in, I strap around my back and then in the front I put something else that's more stuffy and lighter okay. because we've really worn that thing out, I would say. Mm. Yeah, so and that's I, at the front. I was gonna say, I, I actually, the Ortley bag I had and I never, I mean, it was one of the older, you know, like the ones for touring. It was like the handlebar bag, you uh, know, yeah. big blocksy yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Also quick release. Um, I never had a problem with it. It was, I had the oldest kind of model when it was still snaps. Now it's all magnetic yeah. and stuff. Uh, um, yeah. And it was great, but um, but not very ideal for a bike packing. Because um, definitely That's on gravel, it. it bounces. It would like, not that it bounces, like it doesn't shift. It's just bounce within the system. That's what exactly. I had, yeah. so it was like, yeah. That's what we have as well, and I think touring, it's perfect. Bike packing or more, if you're mm -hmm. planning to go on, on gravel, I, yeah. I would say look for something else. Yeah, uh, how long, um, when are you guys ending your trip? 
June. In June. June. Oh man, they'll have Tailfin will have just come out with their new products that you might like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, to be honest, next to be honest, you know, there's already the next trend. Yeah. We're already debating. You know, we started off thinking, ah, oh, this is it, and then you, you're kind of thinking, okay, you know what? There's there's so much there's so much that we love, and we've invested so much love and so much passion into this bikepacking setup. Now we know what we want. It would be, I think, we're gonna. It's not the last trip for sure. Yeah, no. that's awesome. And uh, what are you using for frame bags? Is just uh... I love my frame bags. Yeah. So I have Revelate. Yep. Yeah, and I think they're great. I mean, the zip they make is incredible. They're so big, you can fit whatever you want inside. And actually, to be like a frame bag and a very small one, because I have two bottles, mm -hmm. it fits so much. Mm -hmm. And you could always manage to close it because the zip is so big that it will never ah, break. Nice and doesn't so catch and I snag really on stuff. It doesn't catch a snack yeah. and the, the other thing is also so with her i think we ordered seven <laughs> they never frame fit. bags they never fit because the so the cool thing about the focus is that they managed to put the seat a bit further back so that it's more it's easier to ride but right. that also means that it's a bit of an odd shape because it's longer than you'd think ah. but then because because it's uh elongated the angle is quite steep so you actually can't use all the space um so we were jumping around and she has the smallest revelator there is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think the M was too big and then the bottles wouldn't fit. Mm, right. The S is just perfect, which means that when you strap it on the back, you can like put one strap over the other and it just fits. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. a, it's a common problem, right? Like a lot of this gear is made for the average man-sized rider. Not necessarily for yeah. men, but the average size rider. Um, yeah. I know that people have messaged me and said, Hey, you should do a podcast on like clothing and really tall people. I'm like, well, I'm not a really tall person and I haven't had issues, but I could see how somebody who's like six foot four, six foot five would have problems with clothing in the bike industry. And how tall are you? Six, four. Oh, we'll have to get you on this. We'll have to do an episode then and talk about clothing and yeah. biking because I need somebody, I need an expert, you know? Um, and then I could see how somebody who's like, you know, five, two or less could also be problematic. You know, my wife's five foot three and, but like that and bags, bike bags, you know, um, yeah. ass rockets don't work really well for short, small bikes, you know? No. So that's where tail fin system is really uh, ingenious. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, she, she got that. And our idea was, uh, that initially we both wanted to, so we wanted to get something in between. There's not, there's a lot of companies that do different things, but what I wanted and what she also wanted was that we have a bigger top tube bag. So mm. not just the, you know, Tampon has a really good one because they have this flap, but it's small. And I have a, we have all our snacks in there. I have the, you know, all the bike tools in there that I can quickly change the saddle. Um, I have my phone in there. So I have the one from Restrap that goes along the entire top. I tube. have that one. I have that one. Cause they were my, they were my sponsor the previous two years. So I have the, uh, yeah, the, the race series one, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly the one I have. And at the bottom, I have the big one and it fits my frame perfectly. I'm really happy with them. The only thing I will say is, and I think that's more, uh, a problem of the industry is that zippers are not 100% waterproof. So we've had mm -hmm. some really tough rains and then you just have to be careful what you have in there because I also have like a power, small power bank in there. Yep. And then if it rains a lot, it's not necessarily ideal. Um, but I don't think I've come across a really long top tube bag that 
has like the pull off thing all the way. Yeah, it's always zippers. One uh, one thing that's interesting is that there are things that I didn't love about that bag in particular is there's no way to like block off a part of it. So if you ah. if you don't have your bag full and you put your power bank in there and it slides all the way down, then things get disconnected. Uh, you know, so like every time I was going out, I'm like, all right, how can I pack this thing so full that stuff's not going to yeah. move around everywhere because I want to open it and know where that thing is, right? I think that's a very good parent you mentioned. I um, fortunately or unfortunately didn't have that issue because it's always packed. <laughs> <But> <laughs> the 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 but the bottom one of it, right? So the frame back has those compartments. It's yeah, really nice. So exactly. I, I do think that that's something that could be changed, um, and I. I think that if uh, I would do shorter rides, I don't think I could use it for that reason. I never thought about it, but that's a very valid point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah. getting, a, I, I have a, so actually I got my shipment of stuff from Tailfin just the other day and I haven't had a chance because yesterday was the last day of school. I'm a teacher, right? And yeah. I've been so busy these last two weeks or like oh, stuff came in this week. So this week, especially I've been so busy that I haven't even had a chance to go in the garage and like open the box <laughs> you know so today actually wow. um if my wife lets me uh <laughs> last chance before christmas i guess well we have a we have a party to go to tonight so it might not happen today i gotta stack wood you know i'm like i have a two and a half acre lot so i i we cut wow. wood and we have a fire wood stove in the house we heat the house with wood in the winter oh, so wow. i've gotta i've gotta do lovely. some uh some country living stuff today yeah that sounds amazing yeah it's it's pretty uh it's a nice area um, so let's talk about, um, so in the end, yeah, you have the, for the last bunch of months, you've had the five liters, um, cages and bags in the front. You've had 10, 20, yeah. 30, 40 liters of storage in the back. And I know you can yeah. kind of, you can strap stuff on top of the, the tail fin bag as well. Right. Like if you have sleeping yeah. pads and stuff, um, yeah. talk yeah, about your setup, I mean, like talk about what kind of gear did you pack? Cause I know space is a limit when you're going for a year or however long. Space is a limit, and I was very German about it in that sense. I was very strict. I said, we're not bringing too much. We're all, we, and we're still putting stuff back now because our family's coming, so we're giving stuff. Mm. It's, we really tried to pack small. We start, so one of the things we started off with, we said, okay, we have this setup. Let's try and get the biggest gear in first and see how it fits. So I got around 12 sleeping bags, I think, all of the different ones. Um, and they all didn't fit because they didn't get small enough and we ended up with the Sea the Summit, the down ones, both of us. Yeah. And uh, what, what temperature um, rating? Just because I know like it's going to vary massively on this trip, right? So you got to... Minus, minus, minus 10. 10. Minus yeah. 10, okay. 10. Yeah. Um, I'd say we love it. I love it at least. It's like we slept, uh, I think the coldest night was in Ecuador in the volcano. Seven. It was minus seven, and uh, I didn't feel cold at all in my mm. body. The only thing that was freezing was my nose because it was out of the sleeping bag. Right, right. <laughs> so it's amazing. It's comfy. It's warm. Yeah, I mean, it packs light. And we have a we have the liner as well. So yeah. if it's really hot, we just sleep in the liner. Um, so I think that worked really well. Um, and we mm. we have that and. That that in the liner is kind of what she carries in uh, the two back and her sleeping mat, which is also from Sea to Summit, the extra light. So that was that. I think that was a uh, the first thing. And once we got that down, it was kind of like okay. In the back, I was gonna take the cooking and the tent. So then we 
were in a shop and we tried a bunch of different ones where we ended mm. up going for the Cedar Summit. And actually because Pedal Bike Packers, they kind of talked us into it. And Cedar Summit has these, they have these, these ones that compress flat, but yeah. I don't know. Oh, I just lost you. It's frozen. Carry on, carry on from so, there. So yeah, they compress flat. And then I didn't, I didn't trust that. So <laughs> <laughs> then we went back to the to the metal one. Okay. And uh, we said, okay, let's do the let's. We got the alpha kit. We put them in the back, and we're really happy with them. Um, and we got them with the MSR stove. Um, have you ever used the MSR stove? I have the Pocket Rocket Two, the little one. That's what I use. Uh, but we with the canisters, so not the actual full stove. Okay, so we we got that. We got the. I think it's the Alpha Fly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's quite nice. The only thing is, we while riding, I think we were talking about it with a few bike packers yesterday. We find it quite hard to regulate the temperature sometimes because on the higher yeah, end it's, it's easy, but on the lower end, the heat of the fire or the flame intensity is quite big. Oh, okay. So it's either like huge fire or you lose it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Um, my so, only other experience with stoves, uh, I did a huge episode once upon a time with a friend who is a, a big bike tour. And uh, we kind of talked about all the things we used. I've used the Trangia as well, the, the Swedish one. Uh, uh, but, yeah, uh, yeah. For some we years. We heard people who use the Primus as well. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I have no experience with them. We got that. We were quite happy. And then we got the big Agnes tent, the three-person silver, the copper. Copper spur? Yeah, yeah, copper spur ultralight. Yeah, nice. How do you like the? How do you find the three-person tent? Like, I mean, it's definitely bulkier. Takes a little bit more space. The bike packing version, I presume, right? Yeah, the the bike. So initially, that was the point, right? So I thought, ah, cool. Then I can put that as a handlebar. But because it's not waterproof, and that would because we don't have that much space, it wasn't enough space. So mm. in the end, I put it in my ten-liter pannier. We really like it. I think yeah. it's. Amazing how it's ingeniously thought through, like how where you can put the helmet, where you can put all the compartments you have inside the tent. Yeah, uh, that's been amazing. Actually, uh, I've been considering that one because I want to do some traveling with my wife and the baby and the the dog as well. So I'm like, the copper spur I, three person could be the way to go. I yeah. think it's definitely big enough. Like we have a lot of space on the sides. Like we could probably fit all our bike bags and us two in there. And yeah. Since sometimes we've had a few odd days where it's raining a lot or where we're somewhere where there's just nothing. So then you do end up spending your fair share in a tent. And then it's nice to just be like, okay, uh, we have a little bit more space and it's not just us compressed against each other. And what I really like is they have this cool way with the doors where you can open it 180 degrees, like you have this 180 degree view. Right. So they, they do have a That's the one wall, right? It comes up like a, yeah. like, like a flap almost, right? Yeah, yeah, it's neat. I like that. It's really neat. And then, you know, the little things like the straps for the helmet, the little clothes compartment, the things to put your phone. I think that was just kind of nice because I'm, a, to be, I have to admit, I'm a bit of an organization freak. Um, <laughs> so it's got to be like, a German thing. <laughs> it's got to be a German thing for sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, we've had a, that we've been really happy with and we've used it quite a bit. And we also got, they have like a, an extra sheet you can put under the tent to give you extra, you know, dry space. Oh, right, yeah. And well, that's actually a game changer. Yeah. Because also if it's wet, we just put that and then the tent doesn't get wet. Yeah, it's, I, like I use a piece of Tyvek for my one-person tent that I just put yeah. down just so the tent is not filthy, right? Like it just, yeah. it might be a bit wet, but it's not going to be dirty and muddy and whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, we, we've, I mean, to be honest, that probably works very similar. Uh, the nice thing is it works perfectly for yeah. the tent. We've had, uh, I, I was uh, stupid enough to leave the tent pegs uh, out and then we were both super sick because we were, you know, sleeping at 4,000 something meters of altitude and it was minus seven that night uh. and she got sick. So I packed everything quickly and let the, left the pegs out. So we've had a few days of using just screws we got from people <laughs> in villages to stabilize the tent. And now we got new ten pegs, which oh, is nice. But uh, it the, was uh, it was a bit of a funny funny camp. The one the one other thing I really like about Big Na- Big Agnes, and I think a lot of brands do it now, is you can actually buy a liner for inside the tent too. So for me, like I have a dog, dog nails are probably mm-hmm. not very good for tents. And yeah. Oh, yeah. you can put this liner inside, and now the dog's oh. nails won't tear the shit out of the floor, right? So oh, cool! That's amazing. I did not know yeah. that. That's really that's genius. Yeah. yeah. So I think they have stuff you can buy, and you can just like. It's kind of like their, um, like their, like their quilts and stuff, where you can have the stick-on things, and you can put the snaps in the corners, and it's made to fit the right size, so you can just put it and install it or something like that. But I had looked into it, and I was like, that is really cool. Like, I, I have an expert on the show now, so I know this is you meant to ask us a question, but I want to ask. Oh you yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, we we like to um, flip it around here. <laughs> <laughs> what's 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 your opinion on quilts? Because we've had the minus 10 as you said it's one of the bulkier items and in the beginning i didn't trust quilts simply Mm -hmm. because i wasn't familiar with them what's your take so i'll get back to you on that in about two weeks um i just (laughs) got a quilt in the mail yesterday so i actually reached out to a to a company that makes um it's called um outdoor vitals and they're an american company out of utah and they make ultralight bike uh, sorry not bike packing backpacking equipment and I sent them a message and I was like, Hey guys, I'm really, I'm in this boat too, because I want to do more winter stuff this year. And one of the biggest things is weight and that's quit. That's just sleeping bags. You know, yeah. um, I said, I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole of quilts versus sleeping bags. And I would love to like test out one of your quilts, um, uh, do a review about it and stuff. And they sent it to me. So it just arrived yesterday. Nice. I'm letting okay. it fluff up a bit cause it was packed pretty tight. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a great question. I honestly have never used a quilt and I'm going to <laughs> probably in the next week I'll try to get out for an overnighter and it's a minus twenty quilt, so it's uh it should be wow. pretty warm. Okay. Wow. But it only weighs amazing. it only weighs like six hundred and fifty or seven hundred grams. It's wow, so light. Like, yeah. Yeah. See, that's that's what I'm thinking. And we we got this I mean because I, I to start off with I had a um my mom a few years ago bought me a, a sleeping mat which to be honest this was at a time when uh, I wasn't familiar with you know all the values you need mm-hmm. the R values and things and um, this sleeping mat is horrendous and it, it you know after I think four weeks in it got uh, so many little holes that you can't fix them so oh. I was sleeping on a mat that deflates and now I got a proper mat and I was thinking. With that mat, you couldn't use a quilt, but now that I'm going to have a proper mat, it's going to yeah. be nice because then you could actually use the quilt. Yeah, so I, I have for a mat, so I, I was reading online, they said in winter, you know, you kind of want around four, four and a half of R value under, yeah. like minimum. And I have a, the Big Agnes insulated one, it's 3.5, I think. Yeah. And then I have, I, I will carry my um, closed foam mat to go with it, which I think adds 0.5, so I'll have four. Um, I don't know if that'll be enough, but we'll see. And I do have a down hoodie I got a year ago, like just a just the head part. 
because in a nice. quilt you don't have a hood so when it's yeah. cold you want to have your head covered um so i do have that and i have an air, uh, a little pillow that inflates yeah i mean i think i think we you i mean especially me i used to make fun of down as a streetwear because in germany as you can imagine it's quite famous we like to go for things that are you know have a good purpose and that do their job um, and now I have everything from in down. <laughs> I have a jumper in down. We have a jacket in down. Um, yeah, it's only good if it. it's not really humid out, you know, like wet. Like uh, like St. Yeah. I don't know if we're in Europe. I guess like Denmark would be a prime example of like wet winter, you know, that wet, yeah. humid yeah. winter. I think down doesn't do great because it just absorbs it all. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you need the rain jacket. Yeah, it. yeah. I was yeah. talking to some guys who were going to northern Canada last year. Um and they said you can't use down up there like everything you bring has to be like primaloft or whatever like because you can't you, uh, you can't use down you will die you know it'll just get wet it'll yeah, never yeah, dry yeah. so yeah. yeah i think that makes sense um i mean we have a lot of down because it just packs so it's so compact yeah and uh that, that's been good and i think that's quite nice we the one other thing i think we realized that we've changed throughout our trip is um we started off and this is mainly due to my road cycling background with cycling bibs and cycling jerseys mm -hmm. but the super tight ones you don't really need the cycling bibs we're going to keep because i like it for the comfort but the cycling jerseys i think you don't we're not going super fast yeah so we don't need them and you can't mm -hmm. wear them off the bike no exactly yeah, mountain bike mountain bike shirts are great for that yeah because they're a little looser they're they're rugged they yeah. won't fall apart um yeah so that's one of the things that we're giving away. Yeah. Mm. But otherwise, I would say for clothes, we went a lot into Merino. Yeah. So we had Merino wool, leggings, yeah. long sleeve, short sleeve, whatever. And it's nice. I mean, it keeps you warm. So we like it. Yeah, yeah. Merino's, Merino's no, we're, fantastic. We're really happy with it. Just expensive, yeah. but fantastic. Yeah. No, yeah. I, yeah. It's expensive. We found this brand that makes them, mm. uh, that does them a little cheaper, that it's okay. It's called Futurum. They're quite nice, but that's, yeah, that's just, uh, that's a Belgian brand that does them. But otherwise, we've had a, I think my biggest struggle in the beginning was actually against the cold. We were really well equipped. Against the wet, we were really well equipped because we have good rain pants, good rain jackets. But then it was when it was super hot. I only had these cycling jerseys and then you don't want to walk around with them when you're not on yeah, the bike because yeah. you just look like a lost cyclist. And at least if you're wearing bibs, you can throw like a light pair of shorts over them that just like pretty easy, you yeah. know? Yeah. Exactly. So that, that's what, we, what we're doing now. I mean, hence this shirt. I mean, I got it somewhere on a market mm -hmm. fake because I was running out of shirts and it was like, okay, you know, if you only have one, I had like one Merino and one summer of the bike shirt and it was just yeah. kind of okay i'm washing every day uh, i need i need a it. second shirt i don't need too much but i need at least two <laughs> at least a second shirt yeah. exactly um yeah that's been good but i think that's kind of i mean we, we we have we have all the equipment we have one bottle that keeps you know we have our bottles that keeps the water cold we have our bottles that keep the water warm and i think from that perspective we don't have too many regrets in hindsight i feel we'd have more yeah and um, are you guys, I mean, I assume you have lights on your bike. Do you have a, do you have a blinking light on the back, like 20 all the time when you're riding or is it more at night? Um, just kind of wondering yeah. for, you know, cause there's always a debate about that. And I think when you're traveling, it may be a more pertinent 
debate. So we have one rule that we broke a few times, of course, because it cannot always be that you respect the rules. Rules are meant to be broken. Yeah, exactly. We said when we left for this trip, we said we will never bike at night under any circumstance. Okay. <laughs> um, so I have to say that our choice for lights, probably also because of that, was not too great. Mm-hmm. Uh, j- just to give you an idea, at the back we have the Garmin radar. Oh, you have the radar. Okay, cool. Uh, Great for road cycling, okay. but it does it doesn't actually illuminate that well uh. the, when it's really dark. So it's it's good on a road bike because you know you're going for light stuff. But on the bike packing setup, no, we wouldn't do it. <laughs> also, mm. we we ride in in streets where like when we enter, it would just be blinking at you all the time, have, right? Like five hundred cars next to us. And mm. at some point, you just want to turn it off because it's like so that's. It, yeah. And the other thing is also, I think that one of the things that is super important while cycle touring, bikepacking, whatever, you don't want to charge too many things too often. And because yeah. it's got so many functions, you obviously need to charge it quite mm-hmm. often. So then you spend, at some point you get into the dilemma, you know, what am I charging now, the cycling computer or the light or this? And we have very good power banks, but it, it just becomes this mundane thing of, I spend that, say, probably half an hour every night trying to, you know, plug and unplug things so that everything's charged. Sometimes in the beginning I had to make me yeah, yeah. in the middle of the night to change. And that was that was annoying. Um, and at the front we have uh, lights. They are, I would say, quite good, but we realized that we when we went through the mining cities in Peru, there's a lot of mining tunnels and they're really pitch dark and they can go on for like more than a kilometer. Okay. And we had to actually get out our headlights. Yeah, actually what saved us in this trip are not our bike lights, no. but our headlights, you know, the ones that you buy at yeah, the loan yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <The> cheap ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So probably for next trip, we will have to think the light part. The light part is something <laughs> we're still kind of in. If you have a recommendation, we're all ears. Well, I've, I've, I've been using... Um, the last couple of years, Dynamo, a Son Dynamo, and um, uh, and K Light uh, from Australia, but um, I because my K Light, I got it from a friend who was touring actually, and he wasn't riding at night, and he was like, "I'm gonna sell it," and I said, and it was rusty, and it was like all the contacts were, it was in bad shape, but I took it home and I, I kind of took out a little Dremel tool with a file down the, all the rust off and stuff, and sprayed it with anti corrosion stuff, and I got it working but it's the road version. So you have to have a good speed for it to work well. And when I go do bike packing stuff, um, you know, I'm up in the woods and I'm climbing hills. As soon as I start climbing, I can't see anything because oh, all you no. see is shadows because the light is so weak. <laughs> so I've moved to a, a battery style light for mountain bike packing. So I, I'm going to keep the dynamo one just on the, the road bike or the gravel bike. And then the oh, more nice. rugged mountain bike one, I'm going to use uh, battery powered lights and I'm using a, uh, Magic Shine, Montier. Oh, yeah. So and it comes and and it has a ten thousand milliamp battery for it, so you can use it for other purposes too. I was looking into these kind of lights as well. I mean, I think for now we're gonna we're kind of looking, but uh, a good light is something that I would recommend a lot because that's something. And I have to say the the other problem with the oily handlebars that you can't put a light because it can't go over; it goes a little up. The oil right. leaf, you have to attach it to the oil leaf so it's also when the oil leaf is moving in the mountains the light is moving a lot right 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 it's like you're nodding your head constantly um 
So that's something we have to figure out. I, I would say um, one last thing that we heard yesterday when speaking to a fellow bikepacker was he had little mirrors at the end of his handlebar. You know, the one on the drop curved, bars, but, right? The little like the um, Zephal yeah. ones or whatever, Zephal? Yeah. 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 And I think that could be something that would also eliminate the need for uh, the Garmin radar because mm -hmm. you can just see in the mirror. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people something. that they don't bike pack without them. You know, I don't have a set on mine because now I'm using flats, uh, flat bars. Mm. Um, I have drop bars on the gravel bike, of course. I just haven't bought any. Yeah. I should, though. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about your adventure uh, since we just spent an hour talking about everything else. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> you guys uh, started in, did you start in Colombia? Yeah. 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 We, Tell flew, us. we flew into Bogota. Okay, yeah. nice. And at the beginning, we our plan was to go from Bogota to all the big cities, so Cali and all of that. Uh, but I have to say, when we arrived in Bogota, we were very overwhelmed, probably. Yeah. Because it's a big city that we loved, but the idea of biking out and in of big cities like that one scared us at the beginning mm -hmm. which i think it's normal and i still have it sometimes mm -hmm. when we're back here in peru can i just jump in for one yeah. second so from bogota i don't know if you're um or the listener or anyone who is listening is familiar from bogota you can you have the mountains which splits the country nearly in half you have the amazon mm -hmm. and then you have the desert on one side and you have all the, the, the coast and you have the andes going through so from Bo you have to cross the andes at some point yeah and one of the most beautiful parts of Colombia, at least that's what we read, is the coffee region underneath Medellin. And then we would do, you know, Bogota, Medellin, the coffee region, and then go down the coast, not along the Panamericana. But, you know, that was kind of the idea. But the, so the problem was Bogota has 10 million people living there. Getting out of that yeah. city, you actually get into a new city, which isn't included in Bogota's population, which is another half a million. So you're, you're essentially cycling for a day out of the city and they have cycle lanes, but the it's really busy there. And for that to be our first day of cycling, right? that was quite an impression. Let and what me just put it like that. What day did you have? Because I know they have this thing on Sundays, right? Like I know in, yeah. in Colombia, like basically everything in Sundays is like everybody's out biking and every... Oh. And yeah, it's we, actually everywhere in big cities yeah. in South America, which okay. to, for us it helped so much because we yeah. try always to get out of the cities on Sundays. Okay. So we, we, I knew about this, and in Bogota, I have to say it's next level compared to anything else. Yeah. I have never <laughs> seen so many Ironman road cycling athletes using that because they oh, wow. stop 150 kilometers of road in Bogota. That's every Sunday. nuts. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it was a dream, and we flew in on Saturday. And um, so truth be told, initially we flew into Cancun in Mexico because that's where we we're going to start. But then we realized that Patagonia was going to be frozen by the time we get there. Ah, so okay. We had to book another flight to Bogota. Uh, and we flew in on Saturday. So I s spent Saturday night building up the bikes. <laughs> and on Sunday morning, we hit the road. And it's like a street festival. You've got live bands on the side of the road. You've got street food on the side that of the road. Amazing. You've got every K, you've got a repair shop for bikes. Everyone is there riding together. We, we got there and it was like, everyone was asking us, you know, what are you doing? Where are you going? Can we ride with you? I mean, But you still stand nuts. out because you got the bags, right? So people are like, of oh, course. these guys, like, they're going yeah. somewhere. <laughs> exactly. So it was, it was phenomenal. And for us to try our bike, it was 
really cool, but it was also, I mean, your first day at 3000 meters of altitude, you come from sea level, you know, that yeah. hits. Um, but I mean, that was, that was phenomenal. Is, is Bogota's, at, Bogota's at 3000 meters? I didn't know that. That's high. It's, uh, it's, so it's, it, they take the measurement. The city is huge. So it goes between two, two and three, one. Oh, wow. Okay. But we were, we were in this neighborhood that was the student neighborhood and it's like, quite high up. Um, so yeah, we were cycling at three. Can you imagine a city, a a city has 900 meters of elevation. That is mental. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was, I mean, and you feel it because when you're cycling, it's, it's, you know, it's not flat, obviously. So, uh, but that that was amazing. I mean, we got in there and then. So day one of the trip, you guys are like, this is going to be the best, best thing we've ever done. Like, this is amazing. Like how awesome. I was so hyped. And then we had heard from, so we're using iOverlander as an app to navigate a lot, like to find places. And, I had read online about this guy who had a coffee, a small coffee production thing in the mountains. And it was a bit off our way, but we said, you know what? It's meant to be so nice. And we got there and it was like, our first night was, I think it was picture perfect. We got there, it was a very long day of climbing. Um, I think we did have a little moment where we were like, wow, like this is tough as hell. Yeah, we had the realization moment of like, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this really for us? Are we sure that we chose the right trip? Maybe we should just leave the bikes. Like all the things that you think the mm-hmm. first day that you start biking. And I think somehow it's not that that came the whole way in Colombia, but I do have to say that I feel that in Colombia we rushed. Oh, we yeah. Pretty, too much. We were going pretty quick, and that's yeah. also what I meant. I mean, I had this mentality of keeping a certain. I mean, we weren't pushing it to the metal, huh? but it was. Yeah. We were going quite up and down, uh, and then it was quite nice because that first day we slept at a coffee farm, and it was. We're not going to go through it day by day. Don't worry. No, no, no. It's um, like I don't mind. I have all day. <laughs> we had. It was this beautiful coffee farm remote. He showed us around. We had four different coffee tasting. I learned that you can, they actually make tea out of coffee here. Which oh, I wow. Cool. I didn't know that either. That's mild. Um, so that was, that was phenomenal. And then from there we said, okay, let's go. And we, from there we entered four or five cities in the next three days. And it was super hectic. And I actually got hit by a bus, like the mirror of the bus hit me in the face. Um, oh. I never ended up, I never ended up telling her cause she was already so nervous about the whole thing. So I was like, I keep this to myself. So when we, we were still going on our original trip, but we were going through little cities and it was getting very hectic. And, you know, I had that thing where I got hit by a bus. And yeah. We, we talked to other people on the road. And that's the first time when we realized this beauty of the bikepacking community. And I mean, Didi is super involved in there. Yeah, I think, honestly, at the beginning, I didn't know about this, but these WhatsApp groups and in general, just like, building the Instagram community while you travel Ah. it's so important because Mm -hmm. for us I don't know we talk with so many people that are like two days ahead or a month ahead or whatever like there are some people with whom we I feel that we talk every two days yeah and we never met them (laughs) and it's like oh yeah sleep there take that road and do that and don't do that and whatever and now it's happening to us too we have so many people that are starting in January from Bogota and are texting us and they're like what should I do what shouldn't I do where should I sleep and whatever and I think that's is oh that's really cool so just like big whatsapp groups too right like yeah, it's like a big WhatsApp group uh, of international. Mm-hmm. Then there are smaller WhatsApp groups where they're in Spanish, but they're with locals, which is okay. also nice. 
and then there is the whole Instagram thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so we had talked to at the time it was uh, it was two Australians, but the point was they said that they went to the Tatacoa Desert in um, Colombia, and it was amazing because there's not much there. But they were a bit luckier with the weather than we were, and we got there, and for four days straight, we had 42 degrees. Oh, wow. Yeah, brutal. So, uh, it, was, it was horrible. And there, there, was, there was no shade. So it was, I mean, it's true that there is not much. There's, like, no one, so it's nice, but it, is, it was really hot. So that was some days that we really had to pedal to the metal. Mm -hmm. um, and then... We were super happy to reach the mountains again, and we. Yeah. I think, I think that's also one of the reasons why we fell in love with Paso, which is like a city in the north of Colombia, because there we were, uh, sorry, in the south, where you know we were there, and it was, the people were nice. It was cold again. We were finally able to wear our merino layers, and it was like, okay, for once we're not in this devastating heat. Yeah, yeah, and I. How long was it before you guys decided to start slowing down again, like a bit? Because, you know, you said you started off really quick and you were yeah. flying through these cities. Was, and No, I, I think for us, honestly, or I think that's the feeling I have, until we stopped in Ecuador to change our tires, mm -hmm. we didn't really stop our brains, kind of. Okay. <laughs> like, we were going for it, and it was more a thing of, like, I don't know if I think about it now, right? We ride in a day and then maybe we take one hour break just because we're sitting somewhere. We start talking with people and then he plays football with some kids and yeah, then yeah. I do something else and whatever. At the beginning, that was never an option. Okay. It was like, oh, okay, we have to do 60K today. So we're right at this time so that we find a place to sleep, so that we find something open to buy food. We were like in this survival mentality. Mm -hmm. And instead of like probably like enjoying more the ride and of course it was also the heat the beginning you need to get adapted to it and all of that we were just like okay we need to get there maybe by lunchtime so that we have time blah blah blah, blah. and now it's such a different <laughs> experience and I think stopping in Ecuador because of the tire and then we had to stop for a bit longer helped us a lot to just think mm -hmm. it through and be like okay what are we doing? Like, let's take it easy. It's not a race. We're like here to meet the people and we want to talk with them and whatever. I mean, if one day we cycle 20K and then we meet someone, we want to stay there, we stay there. Okay. So yeah, you've really, you've really changed the, the mindset, right? Like it takes time. Yeah. We, we met, a, we met a few cyclists and they told us this thing that as you lose luggage, you lose fear. And I really like that saying because in the beginning, you're hyper-packed with everything. You're prepared for every scenario. So it was also the sense of like, we had food always for like five days with <laughs> us, you know, carrying all this extra weight. And then we said, okay, we have to get to the city by like two, three latest because then we still want to have two hours to find a place to pitch the tent. And then that kind of leads, led to this. It wasn't that much that we were saying, like, oh, we have to go so fast, but it was more this thing that like, we want to get there in time so that we avoid any issues. And then mm -hmm. I... It took us once we once we reached. I mean, we we did our we changed our tires really in the like super north of Ecuador. Okay, and there it was it was good because we realized okay. Then we were also doing parts of the timber. I don't know if you know it. No, not really. It it's like it's this trans Ecuadorian mountain bike route that goes mm. through the volcanoes along the volcano of Ecuador, and it's really challenging. So you're never gonna do more than 
40, 50K a day because you're doing like 1,000 to 2,000 meters of elevation every day up to 4,000 meters. The, it's like, really mountain. It's also. really, and the ways are like, you have a lot of like hike a bike as well. Um, and there it was kind of like, okay, let's get there, uh, let's slow down. And I would say that actually riding that timber, we only rode parts, but that was one of the, like it was a really iconic moment in our journey because okay. we rode it and we didn't have the, you know, we're riding it in the rainy season, which isn't when you're meant to ride it. So we knew that up front, but it's phenomenal because you're riding through the Paramount and the National Park, you're not going to meet anyone. But it was, I mean, due to the rain that was there the days before, there were so many landslides. I mean, we ended up hiking with the bike for 20 kilometers. Okay. Uh, from a, from oh. a safety point of view, was it a good idea? Like, I mean, if there's a, a lot of landslides happening, you know, you could get caught in one of those. I'm just wondering, like, what's your, your thoughts after, um, after uh, the, the fact? thoughts after is uh, the landslides were more, so it was, how you have to imagine it, it was a, jeep track that goes to the national park which i guess it's for the people who work there okay so and and then it's a very muddy terrain but the landslides are very small but they just build up this like two meter tall like sand or land mass and you have to go over it but it okay. comes very regularly and i think that the way is just by now they've kind of abandoned the way and they just do everything by foot in uh, there. okay and it's I think in the dry season you'll have no issue but I would not recommend doing it when it's raining if on the day it's raining you sh I would not uh. recommend doing it because then I don't know from a safety perspective and I think depending on what weather you have and also what setup because this was still when we had the gravel setup it w then you, like, you need to be ready for what you're doing there mm -hmm. um, but it's uh, yeah it's I, I think we've talked a lot of cycles it's a hit or miss like people either love it or hate it it's just that it's a it's a brutal experience in terms of sports-wise what you have to do okay right yeah i think well we were lucky in a way because it, even though it was rainy season it was not raining a lot so we actually had the opposite that we were very high up and it was super sunny the whole day so it was very warm while we did it and one thing is riding in the hospital and one that where you can stop and get a cold whatever gatorade and mm -hmm. one thing is like there where we were pushing the bike up this landslide. And I think the problem for us, it was actually the opposite of the rain, that we did bring enough water, but we didn't know it was going to take us that long to do it ah. because of the landslides. So we planned something like, oh, in four hours we're out. We end up staying in there for like seven hours. And of course, at some point, we didn't have more water. <laughs> so then it's more the question of like, of course, you can always pitch the tent somewhere because there is no one there. Yeah. But then you don't have water. So mm -hmm. we were like, okay, so we still need to get out of it. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's very difficult because unless you talk with people that just did it the day before, you don't know what to expect, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. there's probably someone who did this years ago, wrote about it. Right. Then you read it and now it's completely different. Yeah. yeah. And what's the, uh, the humidity? Like, is it? the time of the year you're there is it really humid or because i know in malaysia like if you go in the jungles or any kind of riding that's in the it's so humid that i probably feel like seven hours you would probably need seven liters of water you know like it's so it's so <laughs> so humid that it, it, it just you you're drenched um i'm not sure what ecuador is like uh depending on the year time of the year too i guess i think time of the year place of the year but i mean 
I used to live in Cambodia. Um, I know the humidity there is next level. So I would say it's not like that. Okay. Uh, unless you go closer to the Amazon, but it is humid. Um, but the thing is that when you because you climb so much, we got up to four thousand there, and there it's a very dry heat. Yeah. Okay. It's more. I would say that it's that. more dry. We had like this very bad heat when we went to the coast in Peru and at the beginning in Colombia but for the rest it was very dry because we were in the mountain mm. and so either you have very cold or it rains and of course if it rains it's very wet yeah um, yeah we I mean to be honest we were supposed to be in rainy season in Colombia we were supposed to be in rainy season in Ecuador and we escaped both of them because the rain came very late this year oh nice lucky. so now we're soaking it all in Peru yeah, in Peru, <laughs> Peru catching it all <laughs> yeah yeah and um so what else? So what else uh, did you experience? I, uh, Columbia sounds fantastic. It's it's definitely on my list. Um, I haven't started this thing yet, but I'm looking at trying to. Uh, as a teacher, we can do like this three over four or four over five program where you work three or four years and then you get paid on the next year still. So they take away some of your salary for three years, and then on the fourth year uh, you're still paid. And it's beneficial wow. to do that too because then because you're paid less instead of pay, getting paid and saving money and paying higher tax rates, you get paid less and they actually tax you at that lower rate. So on the year you're not working, that money's taxed, but it's a small income, right? Uh, so I'm looking, that's, that's cool. I'm looking to do that. Uh, my plan is for next, this coming September. So in, uh, in nine months from now to, uh, to start that. Um, Cause I would love to take a year to bike travel with my wife and kid and tell my wife, you get a leave of absence or quit. Like, let's figure it out. You know, we'll figure it out <laughs> after. That's amazing. We've met so many teachers actually doing this journey and just a little uh, sidestep to the teacher's world. We always, I always thought of teachers as, you know, you're restricted to teaching in the in, you know, in a certain country, but it's actually such a freedom. You can yeah. go anywhere. It was, it was, I was, yeah, for me, cool. it was really encouraging. I mean, I thought it was amazing. We met people in Lima who were teachers. We met mm -hmm. people in Quito. It was, it was really cool. Um, and I mean, for us, we have to figure it out, but we really, I mean, we love cycling like this. Yeah. I would say that Colombia if, uh, is one of these countries where I think that, depending on how much time you have, of course, but if I would go back, I uh, think I would fly to Medellin and then do the way, you can still go through the desert, but do the coffee region and then go down, or even to Cartagena, which is at the whole Yeah, yeah, north. way in the north, right? So, because in Bogota, it's a bit off the grid. Okay. So, if you, it's easier to fly into, but uh, for us, we said we have to go back, actually, because that whole north is meant to be amazing, and mm -hmm. Medellin, the coffee region, is meant to be just phenomenal. So, and maybe just a little point to Colombia. So, Colombia is, they're the kings of road cycling in South America. Mm -hmm. It is unbelievable how people cycle. You'd be on a highway, and there'd be a group of five cyclists cycling, you know, one behind each other, like in the Tour de France. Yeah. But instead of cycling on the right, they cycle on the center lane because that's the best, that's the lane in the best condition. And everyone <laughs> respects them. Whoa. They just go. They just go. No one does anything. But for us, that was like unthinkable. I would never dare to go. Yeah, yeah, no way. That's wild. Going. Yeah, when I lived in Malaysia, we would have like, uh, the bike groups that were huge, man. Like the one group we had in... <laughs> I was part of a group that had 2000 members, you know, on a, wow. on a Saturday morning ride group ride, there could be like a hundred people out and they would have two or three different breakaway groups, you know, like, okay. Or they'd have like the faster and a slower group and you'd have same meetup point and you'd take a slightly different route. And we would ride on the side of the highway and 
you know, Malaysia is good because they generally all those broken glass from accidents are swept off the road and off the shoulder. And their highways are really good. Like the pavement is not like Canada where we have winter and it gets destroyed. Um, yeah. Super smooth. And we'd go for like 120, 140, sometimes 200 kilometer rides. And, wow. you know, there's like 40, 50 people in your Peloton. Like it was nuts. Like, ah, oh, just amazing. Wow, that is nuts. But so Malaysia is yeah. pretty serious about it, but I think nothing like Colombia. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, first of all, I was a bit concerned because in the beginning, everyone was honking at us and like they were encouraging us. But <laughs> in the beginning, I didn't get it because, you know, I'm coming from Europe. I thought someone honks at me. I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. So in the beginning, I thought, oh, maybe we're not meant to be here. But they're honking at you. They offer you water. They offer you shelter. They offer you food oh, when they see you with the bike. It's yeah, like cool. the cycling culture there. I cannot like we go to a cycling store and they're like, you know, they repair your stuff. Then they tell you, oh, you don't have to pay for it. And then they give you, you know, I went there. You really should sleep there. And then you should go there. And they give you kind of, you should. We were at a, a bus station because she had a flat tire fixing it. And I, I think in a span of two minutes, we had 20 people around us giving us tips on where to go next. It was unbelievable. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and, well, I presume you guys both speak Spanish as well, right? Like you said you lived in Colombia, David? Uh, no, in Cambodia. Oh, Cam lived, um, oh, oh you're in Cambodia. Yeah, but oh, okay. I speak a little Spanish, okay. but she's I lived, fluent. Yeah, I lived in Chile before. You lived where? In Chile? In Chile, yeah. Ah, okay. Nice, nice. What were you, uh, so, what were, so I got to ask you, what were you doing in Cambodia? I taught in Cambodia for a year. So in, in I taught in Cambodia as well, English. Oh. But as a, this was on a volunteer basis. Yeah, yeah. It was in uh, Siem Reap, um, in, close to Angkor Wat. I was teaching there for six months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's lots of lots of volunteer teachers and um, like yeah. doing that in Cambodia. It's pretty amazing. I wasn't volunteer. I got paid ridiculous money. It was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at there the Cana I worked at the Canadian school. It was seven months. They called me. They're like, we need somebody ASAP. Like one of our teachers is getting promoted and one's left. And I was like, yeah, okay. And it was stupid. It was just we saved wow. so much money in seven months. It was nuts. Um, but yeah, so I, I've, I've taught in Cambodia, Malaysia, South Korea, Russia, uh, Sweden, and wow. that's it. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah so, no. yeah. So uh, that sounds amazing. Colombia does sound quite fantastic, um, and it's it's good to have a partner that actually speaks Spanish, right? <laughs> yeah, it's good and bad because the good thing is that you know she can always hang out with the locals. But for my Spanish progress, we now have this thing where she always says, do you want to try? And then I try and communicate with them. And uh, then if, if they don't get me, I'm like, did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. It could be like, it could be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? But anyways, it, it could slow your own personal progress because you have this crutch you can yeah. always lean Maybe on. Like, it's like, ah, did you take care of this? It can be counterproductive if you want to learn the language, but for the kind of trip we're doing, yeah. I have to say, I think we're very privileged that we can speak the language. Absolutely. You arrive in some villages where you really, I mean, we're even arriving in some villages where they don't even speak Spanish, yeah. and that's already difficult. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> but in many others, we would have never got a shelter in whatever place without Spanish. Mm. So. And also, you can speak to it's like it's unbelievable how much we've been able to speak. And actually, we really want to make more of that because we have so many interesting stories that we're picking up from people. Um, it's been that's been phenomenal. And I think it, just because of that language barrier, you don't necessarily get that same sort of input yeah. if you're doing everything in English. And they've also you can tell that they treat us sometimes a bit 
not no, like locals. I think we're far away from that, but still a bit nicer than the average tourist. And that's mm-hmm. that's something that's. that's but that's, I nice. think, it's also because of the bike. Mm. Like, okay. I really have to say, in this, at least in the countries where we've been until now, if you travel by bike, you're in a kind of lower level compared to the other tourists who come with like big cars or buses or private tours. So people are more open because they see that like, <laughs> I mean, you're there with your bike. You're more it's real, right? You're like yeah, you're exactly. authentic. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think that, so talking about this authenticity, it was in that authenticity in Colombia was you're riding with a lot of riders, but if you want to be an authentic bike rider in Ecuador, you have to hit the mountains. And yeah. no one in Ecuador, you don't ride on the street. You just ride in the mountains and in the gravel roads and there you meet everyone and that was um, it was a nice change actually because in Colombia it's really normal that you take any street and actually once or twice we were going into streets where locals told us this is in Colombia you know don't go there this is actually you're going to get robbed there just stay on the main street oh, okay. sometimes it's better to just stay on the main street while in, in Ecuador it was really go into the mountains we have so many mountains just go out there and you know, we um, while we were getting the bikes fixed, we volunteered at a language exchange as well. And there, you know, the kid was uh, biking. Then we met people who were biking. Everyone was just kind of on the bike and everyone was having a mountain bike. And, you know, I've never seen such a high density of specialized wow. or marine bikes. Yeah, yeah. Just every local has a good mountain bike. That's amazing. Yeah, like the bikes were definitely much better than ours. <laughs> uh, so that was, uh, I think that was amazing. And then there we started hitting the the mountains and we were a lot uh, in villages full of indigenous people. It was a really different experience, but quite refreshing mm-hmm. because it just changed everything on its head. And during the time when we were there, um, it wasn't so safe to cycle by the coast. So This is in Ecuador new- or in Peru? In Ecuador. Ecuador, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everyone said, just don't go to the coast, don't go yeah. to the coast, since the moment we enter Ecuador. And to be honest, because the mountains are so nice, and the people are so nice, and they have a lot of values as well, so it's really like uh, the <laughs> no-robbing zone. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. they, I think nobody would ever try uh, to okay. be there. Yeah, yeah. For us, it felt very safe. Maybe just because they're more... They're, they're more- traditional and like have the conservative yeah. culture too right so then when you get to the coast it's kind of like everybody's fighting for that last dollar or opportunity right they're more opportunist- yeah. opportunistic yeah. maybe I th- also and I mean they're really interested in seeing you like we once went to this village full of indigenous people and they were apologizing to us that they were doing roadworks and they invited us to come back in a few months when it's done so we can ride the street in the condition it's meant to be and you know that's just something where you just you just laugh and you, you just yeah. think wow this is just so kind-hearted and we got there and then we were uh kind of thinking okay we want to bike along the volcanic corridor and then we really embraced it because i think in one week we went just between two five thousand plus meter volcanoes and at these really high altitude ways and it was i mean that's you see landscapes that yeah, I mean, we've never seen. You go from glaciers, wow. you go yeah. to national yeah. parks. And, and it's like one volcano after the other. It's yeah. crazy. The first one, we were so impressed, but then you kind of get used to <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like temples in Southeast Asia or churches in exactly. Europe. After a while, you're like, oh, another church. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, so that was amazing. We had a little bit of a health issue because uh, we had parasites. So that oh. wasn't so fun. 
Um, but I guess it's part of the trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, then there we stayed a bit in Quito, and then from there we continued, and then yeah. Was um, this this volcano trip though? Like, tell me, um, yeah. was it was there a lot of hike a bike involved, or is it just lots of climbing and lots of like? So we so the, there's two big the two biggest volcanoes. One's called Cotopaxi, a bit like mm-hmm. the clothing brand. I guess that's where they got their name from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first one. We so first of all, all the locals like to joke that it's like Paris Roubaix because it's only cobblestones there leading there. Okay. So without the suspension, that's the first time we really yeah. realized. Okay, this was not <laughs> a good decision ah. <laughs> because you feel every cobblestone, um, and then you have essentially this really long plane that you go on this is a bit like an altiplano so it's a high altitude plane at like four thousand meters and you're i mean it's it's like you go up you go down but i feel that like that's the part of the timber that is most common and because it's the same way that the big jeeps take with tourists mm. it's not a lot of hike the bike no. it's okay. just Annoying, yes, there are a couple of stones and whatever, but it's not a lot of hike the bike. Okay. That's uh, compared to the north of Ecuador, where we had like all the landslides yeah. and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and even the ways up the volcanoes are ways where you can, you need a four by, really good four by four, but you could get up. So it's never, uh, you, you can go up at least to the, to the main terminal and then we hiked to the refugio. Yeah. So that last part you cannot do by bike because it's like, it's, it's like a sandy terrain and you, so you walk up. What two meters you slide down one? Oh, and were you pulling your bikes or you just kind of stashed them in the woods? No, so we left the bike uh, even lower, like at the, at the hostel, and okay. then from there we took like a jeep to the base ah, camp and okay, then okay. we hiked up. Yeah, so that that was there because inside a national park there's not many places to stash the bikes, and there is a lot of uh, tourists who drive up by jeep and they just downhill the volcano that's what they do oh cool so they told us that we it's pretty cool but you cannot leave the bike there because otherwise it's getting driven down by a tourist yeah 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 uh so that that was really cool and then the other volcano that we did which is the highest here it's actually fun fact it's the volcano that's closest to the sun because it's at the equator it's actually oh, closer to the yeah, sun yeah. than the mount everest yeah no way cool yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so they're really proud of that and they everything's called city of the sun and um, sun, so, t- sun souvenirs and whatever yeah, like. <laughs> exactly yeah. we, we have them all uh, so, and then we biked up and that was really cool because you have a lot of, there it was also quite steep and a few hike a bike but that was really sometimes single track you know these kind of vibes but you since you cycle in such rewarding landscapes you know you cycle next to alpacas next to llamas you're, you're thinking okay you know this is just really worth it and yeah that was amazing but uh because it's rainy season you just always have to be quite mindful because two or three times we like we got we didn't get up we got up to the one of the close to the highest point but then we had to turn around quite quickly because it was starting to storm and then you don't want to mm. get caught in the storm up there um, also the, it was nice because we saw the volcano when we started riding in the morning but after one hour it was already cloudy oh right yeah <laughs> so there was no mm-hmm. volcano to look at <laughs> yeah yeah what uh, what month did you start the trip September. End of it's, September. Okay, it started end of September. I was trying to just place piece together a timeline yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. So it started end of September and then we entered uh Ecuador kind of November ish and then we were there and we entered Peru uh December ish. 
Okay. Like end of November and end of October, kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. What's the what's the adventure been like in Peru? I know also people say that the coastal region in the north is is quite risky and you should kind of avoid it. But also it's hard to avoid because I think it's quite narrow the country up there, right? So I I think the um our original plan was we, we didn't know if we wanted to skip Peru because we had already done it, but then we decided against it. And we know that we didn't have just enough time to do the entire Peru Great Divide because that's really remote and you don't progress fast enough. Okay. So we started, we, we did a bit of the coast and we really quickly realized this is like, I don't want to say a death sentence because quite literally a lot of people died there while cycling on the road, but it's also like just there's is a one lane and there's only cars going super fast and mm. there's no space for the bike. Like they honk you off the street. So it's like, it wasn't fun. And we really quickly realized, okay, we have to hit the mountains again. Yeah. On top of that is very hot. Yeah. It's like desert vibe and it's very dirty. So you're cycling in a road, which is, has sand around, which is already not nice. <laughs> and because blowing the trucks are on already you. Pulling all the sand, but it's super hot. And on top of that, there is all this trash next to the road. So uh, I think after one day of cycling there, we were like, no way, we have to go back to the mountains. Like, this is not possible. Mm-hmm. So then we start making our way back to the mountains from the coast. And as soon as we arrived in the mountain, the first thing we had was this mining region, yeah. which uh, was an experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was in, I mean, it was super cool to do it. Uh, but there's basically nothing there uh, because it's only people working in mines. So there are maybe every 50k or something, there is like a small town, which is not a town, is like a street with three restaurants and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Every restaurant can host people. So we thought, ah, you know, whatever, like worst case scenario, we sleep there. Until we arrive and we realize that the reason why they host people and they have the possibility, you have the possibility to sleep there is because all the workers of the mining region basically live there. Oh, okay. So let's say they get a contract for four months. So for four months, they sleep there. Mm. So we arrived there and there was like nothing. So the first night we uh, camped at the police station because it was <laughs> the only thing. <laughs> so maybe just to give you a visual, right? So there is this really bumpy road that goes to all of them but on the sides there's just mountains and mines so there's nowhere where you can really pitch the tent right so you have to sleep in these little villages but the village has nowhere to sleep so i mean yeah we slept right next to the police yeah. station and i mean there are probably on Overlander always this wild camping spot but then you pass by and you think is it is this it's maybe really good if you're it's good if you're in a truck <laughs> if you're in a truck or like exactly. a camper van or something yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we we slept next to the police station. It was uh, it was right next to a sewage station. And in my broken Spanish, I kept on trying to explain to them that I think that their sewage pipe was broken because you know everything kept on flooding out. It was not the most pleasant night, but it was very insightful because it's it's quite a strange dynamic because these workers in the mines they don't get paid a lot mm-hmm. and they are overworking so they spend all their money on these coca leaves that they chew here yeah yeah so they're all constantly high on coca while you're there and then at night they get drunk in these towns so it was it was a really quite a quite a like impressive memory that will i think we're not going to forget that long because you're yeah, sleeping yeah. there in your tent and you have all these people and for three four days you're there there was no bathroom there was no shower for four days nothing like but it wasn't cycling in between mountains you know it was just in these dirty roads yeah, yeah. Um, 
So that was that was quite quite an impression. And then as we went up, we got back into the mountains, and there, I mean, you're cycling amongst lagoons. It's unbelievable beauty. Like if that's the region around Huaras, and then still the northern uh, point of Peru. But I would say that most tourists they would only go as far as Huaras from Lima, okay, and not further. So that other region is also was much more uh, raw. Like let me. You, you, I want to ask, um, you know, from a safety point of view, like, I mean, you're going through a region where it's all these miners, men who are away from their families for months at a time and they're somewhat high, maybe drunk at night. Did you guys ever feel unsafe or, you know, and, and probably it's different because there's two of you together. Mm. Uh, maybe yeah. a solo female bike packer might not be in as good a situation. I don't know. I'm asking. I was just uh, um, wondering. Uh, I don't think we ever felt unsafe. Um, for example, there was a moment in which the road was blocked and they were working on a bridge. So they were rebuilding a bridge. Okay. But in the process of rebuilding, they had like just this little wood to cross the bridge. And they kept telling us that our bikes were too heavy. And if it would have been the beginning of the trip, I would have probably been more scared and like, oh my God, like, I don't know, maybe they're telling us this because whatever reason. And we were like, okay, so what do we do? And then they helped us to actually take up the oh, bikes nice, nice. and cross the bridge with the bikes. So it was very nice. I think and as, I, I never had a moment in which I felt unsafe. No, but also in that mining region at night, they do get very drunk and they are very high, but they know that they stick to their restaurants and bars. So yes, if you yeah. walk through the streets, they shout some things after you. Also in Kesra, which we don't understand, but it was like, okay, we're just going to stick to our tent and then nothing happened. Really, oh, okay. no one. So that was quite a good feeling. Um, the thing that uh, really is very that was a bit scary here is the dogs because they have humongous dogs like bear like dogs that they use because uh, their properties here to them are sacred which I guess makes sense but you also have to watch out that you don't bike into private property which can look like normal land but you have to really watch out and then the dogs come chasing at you and they chase you in packs of two or three and a few times they've bitten our bike bags or whatever and and we haven't really found the perfect way to escape them because some people say you have to get off the bike, but then sometimes when you have these humongous biking dogs next to you, you don't really feel like getting off the bike. Yeah, and yeah. And then most locals, they throw a stone at them. I've heard people say carry helps. a handful of stones. Yeah, the, we, we started doing the thing where we splash our water bottle at them and that seems to work, but it's just sometimes with these stones, some of them get even more aggressive. And mm. We've met a few people who've gotten bitten and uh, you know so that's actually the number one thing where it's these street dogs they're really brutal in this area and in Peru much more than anywhere else yeah Peru is the worst for street dogs yeah hmm wild uh, <laughs> so maybe I won't bring my dog <laughs> I mean I don't I don't know I, I we were wondering if it's good to have a dog or bad but it's just like they have they 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 usually it's in these villages, they have like 10, 20 street dogs that are just kind of around and everyone takes care of them. But mm. they that also means that they don't really have like a set property. So sometimes they chase you quite long. Yeah. Um, yes. I think they're very territorial. So yeah. the problem is that as soon as we arrive, they have the problem with the bikes in general. Yeah. But also as soon as you arrive in the sea, you're not from there, they don't know you, whatever, then they go for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember, if, yes, I imagine yeah. maybe if you just get buy some fresh chicken or something before you enter the town and then when you start riding they come at you just throw them some meat 
and then they're happy or get some bones. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we thought about that as well. The only thing is that I'm also thinking that means every bikepacker then they will get more used to biting the bike. Oh, yeah, to get free food. Yeah, so it yeah, sets yeah. a bad precedence. So, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, we were kind of we, we were thinking about it. Um, uh, sometimes also the owner comes out and calls the dog bag and then goes back. But, uh, you know, you always it, it's just that you're a bit more alert. Uh, about it, but you also get used to it. So I think in the beginning in Peru and these mine regions just really hit us, or also more the north because you're there and it's like, okay, what are they're much more aggressive than anywhere else? How mm-hmm. do we deal with this? But then, and there's actually whole discussions in these bikepacking forums on yeah. WhatsApp about how to deal with them. Um, and you know, I think the most common answers are stone, water, getting off, and food. Like okay. that's, that seems to be the solution. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how long ago was that? Like, so this part from, from now you're in Cusco, so it's a couple weeks. Start of December. Okay. Start of December. Three, yeah. week, three weeks then, ago. Yeah. Yeah. Then we were in the, then we said, okay, we're got, we, we were in the, there's a desert in, uh, it's, it's a national park, a national reserve. So we went to Lima, of course, and then we went to that national reserve and that national reserve is really pretty but it's also a desert so you're cycling mm. in a big heat but what's quite cool is that you have the water all around so you can go for a dip if you want um, that was actually the first time we cycled by the coast we had been in deserts but never by the coast so that was a a nice change I'd say um, but I also very quickly realized <laughs> we want to go back to the mountains again yeah, because it, it's so hot oh, that's so true. I guess now that we did our share of coast, we're also very happy we've never been on the coast. Yeah. Because honestly, we were there for a few days and it might, like, you get much more annoyed so quickly because it's so hot mm. and it's a very different vibe. And when you're in the mountains, yes, you have to climb and it's sometimes and, very and prob- intense. Probably when you're cycling on the coast, the, the ability to just jump in the ocean for a dip isn't something you're going to take advantage of all the time because then you're covered in salt water and you're going to no, just have exactly. chafing issues as soon as you start riding if you don't shower, right? Exactly. exactly. So, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was still beautiful though because it was a different landscape. And for me, it was nice because it was kind of a missing piece that we didn't have. Yeah. Um, in, in Nima, I skipped that. We obviously also, we did the Ciclovia, the Sunday that was, you know, car-free. We rode there. That was super nice. Um, I had been to Lima five six years ago she had been to lima two years before after me and i have to say the city changed a lot it got more bike friendly so that was also nice mm. you can see that in peru um, and we talked to uh, people who own the bike they don't have a big cycling culture but it seems to be coming more and more which is nice um and for example at the coast there was actually a cycle path to go through the national reserve and that was you know that was something that we hadn't had in a while so um that was refreshing but then we kind of said okay we want to be in cusco bike uh, Christmas and then we said okay let's go to Arequipa and from Arequipa we cross the Cusco that would be through a lot of high altitude passes but it's meant to be that's one of the other parts of the Peru Great Divide we did yeah yeah and uh, we started and we the first Arequipa is quite low it's at 2.2 so the first day we climbed up all the way to plus 4,000 so that was a really big climb wow yeah and then we said okay we heard of these uh, caves where you can put up the tent, but then while we were cycling, we got so high up that it started storming, and then quickly it started raining, then hailing, and then snowing okay. very heavily. And 
it got super cold and because it's this high altitude plateau there's not really any way to escape and the lightnings um here are really dangerous so i think two weeks ago a tourist just got killed by lightning oh no way um so you, they, they warn you everywhere about them so we thought oof and then thankfully a little truck stopped to pull us to the next town which was still 70k away and we were really done mm. by that end up because this was already after such a long climb and we said okay and we took that for a bit and then we cycled when it was possible again um, and then we realized okay we really have to watch out so we did a we, we did a little detour towards the on this there's like a whole altitude plateau here it's at 4,000 meters you go a bit up and down but we did a little detour and we went along an altitude plateau where it was less rainy okay and and I think for us that was the maybe the part that stood up the most actually because we were at 4,000 meters you have these yeah. incredible landscapes you're cycling through herds of 200 300 alpacas or vicuñas that are just on the side of the road um, you see flamingos that apparently oh, also wow. live at plus 4,000 meters and it's going up and down but you can because there's really not many people living there, you've got really good waves that yeah, you can yeah. cycle along and you can easily do your 100 plus K every day and just you really get going. You see phenomenal landscapes and we really pushed it to get to Cusco because we wanted to get to Cusco by Christmas because our family is coming and we wanted we didn't want to bike on the 24th. We had this podcast. Yeah, you want a couple so, days rest, right? Yeah. So, but that was, I think... Uh, for her, I think that was the best cycling experience. Yeah, even though I didn't necessarily love cycling in Peru, this last part was really probably one of the highlights of the trip. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's also, it's a part a lot of people oversee because they kind of think, ah, you know, we go to Cusco, it's a highlight, even by bike, and then we go down to Arequipa and cross to, to Bolivia there. But that yeah. stretch... Huh? I think it's Juliaca because oh. Arequipa is on the other way. Oh, yeah, it could be. I don't know. But anyway, that, that stretch, it's not many people do it. Yeah. Um, so it's. Oh, interesting. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so kind of moving forward from here, I assume there's a lot. It's mostly inland mountains. You know, you're going to getting into Bolivia, presumably, and then. Uh, yeah. getting naked in the desert and <laughs> <laughs> you know it <laughs> yeah the, so our next big so we we're staying here till the new year because uh, the shipment from Telfin we they shipped it but it should arrive around new year so I think okay. we'll hope we're, I mean we're gonna wait for that shipment and then we're hoping to leave by the third but if the shipment arrives later we're, we're gonna wait because it's quite difficult apparently mm-hmm. there's been some delays but then we want to hit La Paz uh, we want to go to La Paz from here and then from La Paz there's a really cool high altitude uh, bikepacking way that leads into the Salar de Uni the desert oh yeah um, and that's kind of a 10 it's, it's like a 10 day way and that's super cool because you bike at a very high altitude there's not many people and then you go into the salt lakes um, and then there it's all going to depend on the weather because the salt lakes we would love to cross them by bike yeah yeah it takes three days Oh, but okay. due to the because there's a lot of lightnings right now, you don't want to be on a salt lake when there's a lightning. Um, so we have to see how we have to ask locals how feasible it is. It depends. Yeah, yeah it depends how the weather changes over the next couple yeah. of weeks, right? It's or also to pitch the tent and everything. If it's like because it's flat, if it rains too much, you're gonna have water. Mm-hmm. 
So then you're not going to be able to sleep. <laughs> right. So we have to see how it is when we get there. But of course, the alternative is that we s still want to see that. So otherwise, we're going to cross it with a car or something. Yeah. I don't know. Because with the bike, it just takes at least two or three days. Mm. So. Oh, we cycle on the outskirts. Something yeah. like that, I think. And then we, the I think after that, we have, there's a, there's the Atacama Desert, which is like the yeah. driest desert in the world. So there we want to uh, bike. So that's, I think that's a lot of highlights right after each yeah. other. And then we have to see because we want to uh, enter uh, Argentina. And there's like, it's called uh, Ruta 40, which is the Route 40. And it's all the vineyards right next to each other. Mm -hmm. So I think that'll make for an amazing cycle experience, cycling from vineyard to vineyard. Yeah. And that, that street goes pretty much to Santiago, the capital of Chile. Okay. And then from there, we're going to go down to Patagonia. And I mean, we've booked our flights out a bit. Uh, our families actually don't even know. So like you were spitting beans. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, the uh, I have I have a couple students from uh, from uh, Santiago, and they're like, "Oh, don't ever go! It's too dangerous!" Blah blah blah. But you know, it's once again, I think it's it's how you approach things and being careful at the right times. And um, yeah, exactly. I had somebody on the podcast. I think it was Ryan Van Duzer. I don't remember who exactly, but they said when they're traveling, if if somebody's saying like, oh, that city is really dangerous, you should avoid it. They kind of ignore them because it's kind of like the person saying the other place is more dangerous. And, yeah. but I said, like, if you get to a town and there's like an old lady there and she says, oh, this town is really dangerous, then, then you should start to listen because it's like the yeah. local talking yeah. about their direct environment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, I think we've, uh, that's a, it's a good rule of thumb. We've kind of done the same because it's funny. We started in, we started in, you know, from Europe, everyone told us Colombia is so dangerous. Yeah. And we got to Colombia, they told us, oh my God, you're going to Ecuador. Are you crazy? And then we went to Ecuador and they told us, oh my God, Peru next. And here it's already the same about Bolivia. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's yeah. just kind of pushing the blame. It feels yeah. like. Yeah, yeah. It's always the neighbors. I remember I was living in South Korea and they're like, you're not going to go to China on a holiday. I'm like, they're like, China's so dangerous. And like, I went to China and there's like a military conscript police person on every corner. You're never going to be somewhere yeah. more safe. Like there's zero yeah. chance of something ever happening to you. Um, yeah. I was like, yeah. So I think we've, we've kind of done that. And the biggest element right now is the weather because we want to get to, it gets really cold in Patagonia, obviously, mm -hmm. and it starts freezing from June onwards normally. This year, because of this phenomenon, the Nino, which is where, the weather is between Southeast Asia and South America. They invert due to a... Uh, it happens like every 10 years. So yeah, there's yeah. like much stronger storms here. We have to see, but it could be that it get, gets delayed a bit, but uh, that's the plan. And then we're going to cycle that. We have potentially a few, uh, at least one friend. We'll see some other bike yeah. enthusiasts joining. We're going to cycle apart with us, which is going to be nice. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's that's kind of... We're just kind of headed south, but... We we found that it's in the beginning uh, again being this organizational freak. I try to map out our way yeah, perfectly, yeah. but then it just changes every time. Um, so now we have like we map out the next two weeks. We know the general direction we have to go to, and then we take it. Yeah, we take it. There and then day. you've got yeah. your general plan from La Paz to the Salar de Uyuni. You kind of like yeah, you know that exactly. there's this off the beaten track type trail or track or yeah, route and exactly. Um, yeah, there's another guy who uh, is down south somewhere down. I forget where he is right now, but um, Dominic Menard. He's from uh, Quebec. Um, oh, cool. He does a lot of posts, a lot of video, Instagram, YouTube stuff. Um, 
Oh, nice. We'll have to check them out. Yeah, I'll shoot you. I'll shoot you the name. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. So this, uh, it's quite the uh, quite the community. I think as you get down there, like it's all like minded individuals with similar goals, and um, yeah. in some ways, it feels like the day of the the you know the Koga World Tour touring bike are kind of dead, and people are trying to discussing like, hey, what's a cool route? What's something fun? What's a challenge? You know, they're they're trying yeah, to explore. Exactly more um so yeah, yeah it's very very cool all right well guys um i don't know what else we could talk about but uh this is really really cool because it's an it's hour nearly, two hours. nearly <laughs> two hours um but anyways i'm i'm gonna we'll end this episode but we don't have to hang up and uh we can chat a little bit more um super cool and i look forward to uh like i said touching base once the once the rest of the tour is over and we can talk about how the, how did it ended up and what's the what's the yeah. next plan after that that <laughs> yeah, sounds amazing yes awesome well that was super fun um i i ran out of coffee a while ago which is unusual for me uh. <laughs> <laughs> so did we <laughs> yeah actually i was really surprised when i looked at the time zones and i was like oh Cusco's on the same time zone as Eastern Canada because you always have this sense that Eastern Canada is quite east and South America yeah. is is definitely more west, but it's not yeah. like it's just yeah. it is yeah. just not yeah it's very interesting. Um, so yeah, super cool. Well, I'll say bye and uh, we can just keep on chatting. So uh, guys, Perfect. super awesome touching base with you and uh, having this so opportunity and uh, thanks for for making it happen. So, bye bye. Yeah, thank you. Keep on pedaling. Bye. <laughs> All right. I'm actually not going to end the recording. I thought about doing something a little different. I'm not sure um, if you guys are cool with this, but on my Patreon, I recently started putting my episodes without ads. Oh, cool. and, without ads. And I thought maybe it's neat if I leave the early chat and then the later chat for listeners yeah. that are they're supporting the podcast. Um, uh, cool. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. like, we'll just keep chatting, but I'll chop it off nice. on the published episode, but I'll leave it on the uh, the for the Patreon people. Let's do it. Nice. Yeah. So I was gonna tell you, um, Tailfin is uh, they're they're making nine bag sizes for frame bags to to kind of hit that oh, range of different bikes. Of course they are. <laughs> yeah, because I was talking. So I was talking to James in the R and D, and he said, "Yeah, he's like, we're really. I think they said March for frame bags." Um, and there'll awesome. be a bunch of sizes so that it can kind of hit all these different markets. Like, cause there's, it's so hard, right? Frame bags are just it's such so a tough hard. one. Yeah. 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 And then later on, they're going to come out with handlebar stuff. So. I, I have to say, um, so coming from a, a background of development, one of the things that we got drilled into our heads during our studies, it's so important to have this pilot study and looking at things before publishing them. And I think they're doing it so well, Telfin, yeah. you know, to get people in the R&D team to get feedback. And because the products they get, right, they're, they're not like other brands who just kind of have that much, but the products they have, they're just dead on. It's really, I, I thought it was quite impressive. And um, I'm happy to hear that they're coming out with stuff because these things I was thinking it's such a shame they don't have a frame bag it's such yeah. a shame they don't have a handlebar well and, and I mean we've all seen the frame bags they do have for their athletes like yeah. uh, you know some of the people doing the tour divide racers and stuff yeah. like they, they yeah. have stuff they're putting together for them but then it's like then eventually it comes out to the, to the mass public right so yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's awesome uh, and I think again to be honest that's one of the few things that uh, I'm, I'm quite excited about also when I get back now that I that we have this knowledge, because again, you do have to try it in the field because it, it what works for one person might yeah. not work for another person. 
it's nice to also kind of know, okay, now I know exactly what bags I like and mm -hmm. what I want on the bike. Um, so that's quite good. Um, the other thing I found quite funny is we've met a few people at the start of our trip who were cycling in carbon framed bikes. Oh yeah. And yeah, I, I, I didn't really get it. And quite a few of them actually, their bikes snapped in two after a few months because oh, there's wow. so many rocks here on the road and once carbon snaps, it snaps. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I, I think I'm, that's why I'm quite happy now that we, because I was also thinking, you know, do I need a different bike? But I'm quite happy to, to have a bike which is quite robust. Is think. your bike it's, alloy or? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so alloy. My, my gravel bike is carbon and uh, they also make the, the same company, Panorama. They make a steel bike. Uh, it's a steel yeah. gravel bike. Uh, I have the carbon one. Um, and my mountain bike's steel, so... So when you for that idea that you have uh, for cycling for a year, what kind of bike are you considering? Um, it depends what I can convince my wife to go on. You know, like uh, <laughs> like if if we're looking at just cycling around Europe, that could be very different. Um, I'd probably just take the 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 gravel bike with the carbon fiber gravel bike, right? But if we're gonna, it depends. I mean that that gravel bike can take, I think not as big a tires as you guys i think 48 mil or 50 mil maybe uh -huh. tires so it's limited to two inches so yeah. um but it depends i don't know um we're actually looking at possibly in about two years time going to teach in netherlands or belgium so if you're teaching in belgium give me a shout in brussels is my favorite city i was yeah, yeah. gonna say if you're biking in in europe you should give us a shout yeah yeah definitely host. yeah um so the the whole thing about uh, that is there's two canadian schools that are i think it's for you know nato or whatever right there's yeah, two canadian yeah. schools one in the south of netherlands one in kind of the north of probably not too far away in belgium and they accept Canadian bilingual teachers. Um, they want cool. people that, who have traveled and experienced. And so I'm thinking to apply for that. And I still get to collect my pension in Canada. So that's the good thing. Wow. And um, so we're looking at doing that. And it's like a two-year gig. Um, my wife, nice. I mentioned Persian. And it would be really nice for her to have a chance to travel Europe a bit and, you know, experience a different culture. Yeah. So that could happen um, maybe around 2025 or 2026. Um, wow, awesome. the kind of the thought process there is our daughter Jasmine would be old enough to go to grade one and uh, be in school uh, so yeah that makes I think that makes perfect sense yeah, yeah so we if uh, if that happens then summer would be traveling Europe and then we'd probably go on a more adventurous adventure on a year off somewhere at some point right so I don't know we'll that, see I mean that's cool there's yeah. a European divide trail which goes from pretty much the polar circle all the way down to Gibraltar which is the point where Portugal and Africa meet yeah and that's meant to be, I've heard it's meant to be really nice. And it's like a two, three months trail. Mm. Um, of course, you can cut it short or skip parts, but it's meant to be a really cool one. And I have to say, uh, for us, I think that's a, quite a realistic bucket plan thing that we could do after this trip if we have like a, a bit in the summer yeah. or we just take a longer summer yeah. vacation. Because it doesn't take a year. It's two, three months. You can take that off easier. So mm -hmm. I think that's that's quite up. Yeah, and, and that's something like even as a teacher, you could like you could do the first part from the polar circle to back to Holland or Belgium. Yeah. Yeah. One summer and then the next summer cycle down and finish it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. And, that's quite cool with uh so i i was also asking because we've met a few people who have cycled with a dog and they always have this like kind of uh, either they put the dog in one of the bike bags or they have this like little cart that they pull behind yeah. them on the bike 
What's your thought on that? Um, you know, I'm leaning. I, so I did the, I did a basket. We did a, we did a 200 kilometer rail trail as a family last summer. Um, not too far from home here. And we actually brought, we had a camper trailer at the time. So we brought the SUV with the trailer and we would ride as a family for 25 kilometers. And then I'd let my wife and her sister and the dog and the baby rest and chill. And I would then get to go time trial back to the car, bring the whole thing up. And then we'd ride for another 25 kilometers. And then I'd I'd do a TT back to the car, um, (laughs) which was fun for me. It got me some good mileage and uh, like a good ride. And then it was just like, la, la, la with the family. Um, So for that, I had a basket and because my bike is not like an elongated frame that's made to have like a a long rack on it that I could you know it was it really felt like rear end heavy and it wasn't super comfortable I would never want to ride anything technical Um, so I'm thinking like the bob trailer might be what I set up for the dog this year I saw one for sale for like 100 bucks Um, yeah saw one with the suspension for sale for like 250 and I thought maybe that would be good maybe I could pick it up and try to get the dog used to that who knows i don't know yeah cool what yeah. kind of dog do you have uh, australian cattle dog ah cool okay. you know like like bluey the the cartoon yeah yeah yeah. 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 yeah 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 amazing yeah because you do also need a dog that's kind of i want to say bike friendly not that i exist but like that's used to buy yeah she she doesn't love wearing the harness but as soon as i have her on like i usually wear i was trying to get her used to like joring in the front of the bike right and it hasn't got there yet. So I'm going to work on it this winter with uh, the harness on me and having her like pulling in front of me on like snowshoe trails oh, um, nice. so that we can try to get used to this dynamic and then I can hook her up to the bike. So at the nice. moment, it's just like I wear the belt and her leash is loose beside me and she runs on the side. She loves to run. We do like 15 kilometer <laughs> bike rides in the summer. Nice. We go up in the forest and stuff and we just do mountain biking and I usually let her That's loose amazing. behind me. I'm not supposed to, but I do anyways and. <laughs> we won't tell anyone yeah she just yeah nobody if you're listening and you're from the Ottawa region or the NCC the National Capital Commission just uh, plug your ears <laughs> <laughs> nice. yeah we uh, talking of hobbies we actually developed a new uh, hobby now next to cycling we're making we met a lot of people who are making jewelry and we started making jewelry actually now um, and today excitingly after this call we're going to try and sell our jewelry nice yeah there's um you're not the first I've, I've met a few people that po- make postcards and like paint stuff or do like little jewelry and it's a great yeah. way to fund a trip because you don't need a ton of money to make a day-to-day you know yeah no exactly um, and it's also fun <laughs> yeah and are you gonna looking at just like whatever people want to donate or do you have like a base price you're gonna ask for I think we have we're gonna have a base price because we learn from other people that are doing it, but they live out of it. So mm. they travel by bike and since five six years, and they live out of this. So they got us a lot into the mentality of like, okay, this is five, you get out, you can get down until three, and then this is how mm-hmm. it should be, and this is how it should be, and they got us into the mentality. So we're gonna try, but yeah. I think today is gonna be more like a test yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah. And if it doesn't work, we can still change. I mean, we're doing it for fun and to do some, yeah. to have some extra money. Yeah. But luckily, we're not like living out of it, so we don't yeah. have to go out and sell every day, which mm-hmm. is what we do. And also, the other thing is, so it's, it's surprisingly they have a lot of shops here to sell these things. But also, we're talking about local currency, so like the most basic yeah. bracelet will be sold for like a dollar. Mm-hmm. So like we're not we're, we. Would, and you have to adapt to the economy. Yeah. So it's yeah. Like, 
we're, we're going to try and see what it's like. And there's a lot of like hands and crafts shops around the yeah. city, especially in Cusco. So it's, it's more to see what it's like. And the cool thing is that it's quite fun because it is true that, um, so in the beginning I was carrying a book, but then I, start, I started writing a lot and she started making this and it's, it's quite fun. We do them sometimes just next to cycling. You're somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, you set up your camp, you started cooking and then you make a little bit of jewelry, but we're also not, I mean, we're really not doing it. Yeah extremely because it's just a side side income but it's, it's fun because i always like to think it's nice to have a little bit of a side income like you said but it should be something creative i don't always feel so yeah. comfortable like we have this buy me a coffee but it's it's i don't feel so comfortable always asking people for money so mm. i like i prefer this way yeah. yeah you could also have something where you can uh you can set up like a little instagram store where people could order them and you could just mail them around oh. the world you know so it's like it doesn't have to be crazily more expensive but you'll probably get more than the dollar you would get in Cusco right that's actually a good and, idea and yeah. it's, a, it's something hope, that you can I hope, I hope no listener heard the actual price <laughs> <laughs> that's okay nobody's gonna be upset it's people are doing it to support your adventure right so it's yeah, it's that yeah, kind of thing too people want to help and if they get a little souvenir in return it's always kind of nice I had this leather necklace it was just or it wasn't even leather it was uh, just a really shitty cloth I bought it in Thailand with a little tiny you know um, elephant yeah. and the day I gave it to my son in Japan I was like oh you know I bought this for you years ago and we had a miscommunication so I just always wore it so I could give it to him one day and then he's playing with it and it breaks off and I was like damn it <laughs> so I'm like I gotta fix it so I, I have to get some new new string yeah. twine rope thing and fix it and then I'll try to mail it That's back to fair. him but it's like you know it's is a really cheap nothing special thing but you know you buy it with intention and like um, so, you know, people that listen, like, you know, they want those things. So, Hey, I'll, I'll tell you what, you make me one. I'll send you my address, ship it to me. I'll throw you guys some dollars. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. So I'll be your first customer. That's cool. That's cool. That's yeah. Awesome. So it's a nice way to help and support a trip, you know, with, uh, and then you have a little souvenir, you know, you have this memory. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, we, we were looking at it because a lot of people are doing this. What's it called? This website where you have like followers? Patreon. Patreon, yeah, Patreon, Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are doing that. But we're also, I mean, we have to say we're quite new. Right now we're playing a little bit with the idea of opening maybe a YouTube channel, but yeah. we don't know yet. It's, you know, because we're, uh, you also, you kind of grow while traveling. You yeah. Think, okay, what can I do? What's with the content? Yeah. Yeah. And, and your videos will grow with you, right? Like I had um, yeah. my buddy, uh, yeah. Adam Hugo. So he was my first episode ever on the podcast. I met him and his uh, ex-wife while they were in, we were in Northern Thailand and he was making videos weekly and you know, it was a little bit, I think it was much for him. Like it was, you know, you spent a lot of your free time editing the content and trying to make videos, but his videos are really, really great. And, but like it grew with him as he went, you know, every week got better and better. And he was like, if you learn one new trick a week, your videos will just gain quality, quality, you know? Um, that's true and also we found that you know the first video you edit you you spend nearly days and then now yeah. it, you know we also get faster at it and then it's more fun because you can add something that's cool you see because it is also a bit creative right you see how some other people are doing it yeah. it's, it's nice yeah mm-hmm. no it's, it's been good yeah it's and one good. one episode you might end up feeling like oh I did it too much like this person but you know, I, at least I got the idea and I, I learned a skill. So now I can change it yeah. and do this thing on my own and make it like personalize it more, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah, and this was also quite funny because we had this thing of the drone, right? In the beginning, I was quite afraid of flying it because in uh, Colombia, they have really strict regulations. Mm. You need to have it with the government and they actually have like drones in the air that control whether your drone is registered and we didn't get our registration so we couldn't fly in Colombia and in Ecuador I was really keen to fly it but in the beginning you know with the altitude and everything and the wind I thought huh but now it's like you just kind of take it out whenever and you're like okay let's let's do this it's allowed here let's, yeah. let's just get some nice drone shots in. and I think that really showed us how we grew you know also in terms of content creation because it allows you to just do more if mm-hmm. you have a few drone shots yeah, Canada's got really strict with drones. Uh, you have to have a license to fly a drone uh, wow. for any drone over 250 grams. But then Mavic came out with the Mini that's 249 grams. And now oh, that one, you're, you're allowed to fly here. without a license. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's always a loophole. Yeah. It's exactly the same. But unfortunately, uh, here they, they don't have these regulations, but we didn't get the Mini. We got the other one and that mm-hmm. was more. So then that's why in Colombia. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty the more neat. you know. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, the the one you have will get nicer quality video and everything too. So it's, it's a, it's a exactly. trade-off. And a little so, bit longer flight time and all these things. Especially at altitude, because I have to say that uh, at altitude, when it's so cold, it's really difficult to fly along. So then, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's been, it's been yeah be very aware of battery life, because I've had a few friends where their drone will start to fly back to them because of low battery. And then it hits a tree somewhere in the middle of the jungle one tall uh, tree that the drone doesn't have the capability of necessarily avoiding all those things because it goes straight line yeah and uh they've lost that that way yeah we've, we've, we've also heard. We've, we've heard of people who um they started uh these were van lifers and they started the follow me function and they drove and they drove it for like three four minutes so they're quite a lot of things but the home point that's where it flies back to that was still you know i don't know like 5k back so it just ran off to the home point and they never found it again oh jesus yeah. <laughs> oh that's too much all right guys yeah. well this was awesome i will uh this was amazing i, I will Thank end it so now because uh definitely yes. it's uh my first day of holidays and i should uh spend it with my Thanks wife and so much baby. for taking the time for us <laughs> no it was amazing guys i i really look forward to seeing how things go over the next uh six months five five six yeah. months and uh yeah. all the best be safe and um thank you thank you keep on paddling bye-bye You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. See ya. Bye, guys. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have any comments or questions, you can email me at chris at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. Head over to bikepackadventures.ca slash partners for some amazing deals. If you're enjoying the show and would like to become a supporting member, head over to www.patreon.com slash bikepackadventures to sign up. Patreons get to enjoy early access and ad-free podcast episodes. You can also support the show by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on peddling.